Welcome to Eurozone, the podcast about European Ultimate. We are here back from the World Ultimate Club Championships in Cincinnati, both back home in Europe. I'm Ravi Vasudevan, joined by Lorcan Murray. Lorcan, how was your world's experience and your trip home, buddy? Well, the former was fantastic, and the latter was trying, shall we say. Oh. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm not the most, most hoity-toity of people. <laughs> and I did have to go home via Reykjavik, which was, uh, you know, it's nice nice to be able to say I've been to Iceland, but realistically I've been to a corridor in Iceland. And it was it was tough. It was tough. I was very tired. But nobody really wants to hear about that. I feel much better now, kind of. Okay, no, no, it's fine. How are you, Ravi? I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted. This jet lag has hit me super, super hard. Uh, I took the red eye back. Got the lag! Yeah, I got the lag, man. I, I took the red eye back and didn't get any sleep on that flight. And then I got 13 hours of sleep the night that I got back. And then like last night, I went to bed at 10, woke up at four in the morning, wide awake, and I've been a zombie all day. But uh, I took a little nap after I got home from work. And I think I'm going to have some energy for this podcast here to talk all about what happened in Cincinnati. So yeah, let's stop talking about our trips there. What you What'd you feel about the whole tournament just before we get into the specifics overall? Your treatment by the Ultra World crew, your view of the games. What do you think of that uh, tournament there in Ohio? I'm so tempted. I'm, so, I'm fighting down the urge to <laughs> to just talk shit about the Ultra World guys the whole time, but they were fantastic. It was really great to go over there and work with them. They've got a real proper setup, well, about as professional setup as Ultimate Reporting can get. And it was really nice to be a part of that. Not to <laughs> besmirch anything over here, but in terms of just the way everything's run, how intense they are, how much they know, the way they approach every day. It was fantastic to be a part of. Even And plus it meant I got to be a spectator at one of the best tournaments I've ever been to in my life. I'd never been to a World Club Championships before, unlike you. Mm-hmm. I'd only ever heard about them. Cincinnati is fantastic and is filled with some of the friendliest Americans I've had ever had the pleasure of talking to. Oh, man, they were so happy to be hosting us. Every time we went out to dinner somewhere, they'd be like, oh, are you guys from the tournament? And just, like, come over and, and just say how lovely like how lovely it was to host us, especially if you went into Lebanon, Ohio. It's the biggest event they've ever had. Lots of people there have never really seen non-Americans before, it seemed like. And uh, they were, yeah, they were super happy to be hosting the tournament and the nicest group of people um, hosting there in Ohio. Really wonderful people, really wonderful atmosphere. You have to take your hat off. To WIFTA and to, I believe they're called Koopa, the Cincinnati Ultimate Players Association. Mm-hmm. Not to yeah. be confused with Koopa, the Cork Ultimate Players Association. <laughs> I'm sure many people are making that mistake uh, over I, I am. I imagine at least a dozen. <laughs> I certainly got a kick out of it when I saw it. I went, Koopa, I have a frisbee with Koopa on it. Doesn't mean the same thing. <laughs> All right. So uh, anything else you want to say? I mean, I thought the, I thought the event was really well run. Um, you can hear a bit more about how things went in the finals. We weren't going to talk about those as much here because sadly none of our European teams made there. There was quite the emergency situation on the second to last day. All the games got canceled. Sadly, Um, they managed to have the semis finish up in an indoor soccer facility with these 20 minute like lightning rounds, literally. And then (laughs) (laughs) um, finish up the uh, finals in that same indoor facility. Um, aside from a few people getting kicked out because they were just over capacity and um, 
the fact that it wasn't really a stadium stadium setting. I think hats off to Wiftiff and Koopa and everybody there for getting something legitimate to happen out of there. I, we were all thinking, man, what if they have to cancel the finals? What if they we're not going to have finals at Worlds? What if you're just going to be like the top four all share it? And I think they did a very damn good job given the situation, given the circumstances. Um, hats off to the organization because that must have been a nightmare. I was actually in the car with Charlie, the editor of Ulti World. When he got the call from Rockwood, Tim Rockwood, who is the director of, I want to say communications, the guy in charge of all of the broadcasting side of Woofduff, and we got to wall to wall with just Nob and Rockwood there. So there was Nob, Rockwood, Charlie, all very big heads, and then there was me, <laughs> just kind of bumbling around and definitely belonged. Uh, oh, I, I had every right to be there. So I just kind of got to witness all of the major players, like Jen, like Ruben, um, coming through and starting to set up and trying to work out what the hell was going to go on. Big hat tip to our editor-in-chief, Charlie Hustle, who was a huge reason why all of that stuff got to go ahead. Not specifically that it got broadcast. Uh-huh. And it was just a matter of this has to be done and a team of 12 to 20 really dedicated people coming together and getting it done under tough circumstances as well. Because, I mean, we played four games and then there was a break so that the arena could play soccer games. <laughs> and then they played two more games. I actually had a conversation with a lad at the desk. His name was Nathan. Uh-huh. I was just chatting. I was like, so uh, what do you make all this? He's saying, this is uh, a little crazy. Fridays are normally, you know, a relaxed day. I was coming into work today. I was like, ah, yeah, it's a Friday. Not too many games. The older football lads will come in later on. Maybe I'll play a quick game of footy with them. Nothing too stressful anyway. So sorry, Nathan. <laughs> it was not not stressful, that I would imagine. <laughs> but thank Christ that, that you guys got um, that, that put up there because though some of the games weren't that exciting, given that every single game went to whoever was in the lead won, if you guys hadn't got that on film, we wouldn't have had that play by Ospina that grab she had on camera. And Number that, three on SportsCenter. Did yeah. you see it on SportsCenter? I, I didn't see it on SportsCenter, but I saw the play uh, live on the, on the broadcast and saw it, of course, on all the GIFs and everything that it got put on later. It was, for me, the highlight play of the tournament and happened at quite an intense moment, just starting off that 20-minute final for Revolution mm-hmm. and showed that they were the dominant team going into the finals there. Um, sadly, didn't manage to close it out. Lost to Riot in the end. Riot were just way too strong, and Revo had a bit of an off game in their final. But uh, the Colombians showing really good stuff, and that catch was phenomenal by Ospina. I was actually lucky enough to be in the corner, just behind the corner of the end zone she caught it in. Oh, man. So I watched it the entire way. <laughs> and uh, I'm in one of the gifts in the background, clutching my head. But... Uh, you're watching it and you see it go up and you're like, ah, she's not getting to that. No way. Although, no way. if she does get to it, it's <laughs> going to be a sensational grab. And then you waited another two full seconds as she <laughs> continued to sprint. It was unbelievable. And just again, like a testament to how good those Colombian women were. All right. So here's how we're going to do this podcast. Lots to talk about with how our European teams did out there. We're not going to talk a lot about revolution and i'm probably going to say a bit about them but we're not going to talk a lot about all the teams that got medals and everything we're going to talk through each division um mixed women's men's we're going to do it that way this time let's start off with the mixed division and we'll start off with our two 
teams that made the top eight. Uh, Hrutz and Hestische aired Ferkel. Um, we had both picked them to be in our top three in our picks, so we were good on that. And uh, uh, they managed to make the top eight. And Hrutz, I think people were expecting that from. Um, aired Ferkel, I think, to be fair, they had a bit of an easier road uh, than Hrutz did to make it there. But they did manage to do it. And they managed to get there themselves in the top eight. No one could take that away from them. Um, what do you think about these top two European teams? Ended up tying for seventh. Uh, you can hear back on our last podcast. Christian Hamann just said, I want to play Hrut. Give me a game against Hrut. The bracket gods gave him that game, but then the lightning gods took it away. So those two teams tied for seventh. Uh, Hrut Erdverkel. Just another example of why polytheism is dangerous and should not be practiced. <laughs> First off, Hrut, I had the wonderful assignment to try and embed myself with that team so you can read the articles on Ultra World but over the course of the tournament I would try and catch up with them as often as possible talk to them in between their games kind of keep track of how they were feeling and I thought that I thought there's definitely the potential for a magnificent Cinderella story that opening game I was worried it would kind of knock them off the roster they're 14-12 up and Flora gets an unbelievable layout D in the end zone mm-hmm. and you're just thinking okay this this could be they could just smash wildcard in the opening game which would be ridiculous. They showed that they could absolutely put it up to them, but then kind of faltered a little bit. Um, they lost to Reading, which wasn't a huge surprise. It was disappointing for their fans. But again, we talked about it a lot. Reading are a team who just know how to beat them. They lost to Rush Mixed, which was a legitimate surprise. I mean, I wasn't that surprised. Rush Mixed was a team that I was talking about being... They ended up dropping off after this win. They didn't have too many other great results after it, but... Um... That's also partially due to the fact that Marissa Rafter, the Callahan winner from a couple of years ago, got injured, I think, maybe in the Crut game or right after the Crut game. So they missed that piece. Um, but that was a, that's a good team. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, when I saw the match, I was worried for Crut once I saw their pool. And you, you mentioned, so they had wildcard Redding and Russ Mix. They also had Chuckies in their pool who managed to take Redding to universe. So also a fifth team that's, like, not a chump. Oh, no, it was it was the toughest pool in the mixed division, I think. It was the toughest pool in maybe the whole tournament. Uh, th- there was a pool in the women's division that was also pretty tough, but like uh, that was a ridiculous pool. It was. It was definitely one of the toughest ones in the tournament. Chuckies were legit. They showed some real fire, but then that was the game where I watched Groot and I thought, they're back. They're okay. back. They're back to using their full roster. They took them to task on the deep shots. The one thing... The bother me all tournament long was it didn't matter who Groot were playing, they were they would turn it a lot in their first few points. Okay. And teams like Reading punished them, went off in that big lead, they came back, but then Reading finished strong. The likes of Rush Mix, the likes of Wildcard, they punished them for making those mistakes early in the game. Whereas they kind of got away with it. Like the opening point against the opening few points against Pilipinas Mulatto, which was their game to get into quarterfinals and was their game against a number one seed from a group. There were turns aplenty on both sides, which was kind of worrying to see. And you just kind of waited for teams to take advantage. And that was something the wildcard did in the quarterfinal. Groot played very well in the middle of the tournament. And they really learned and they really grew. They needed to come up against consistently high-level opposition to realize that they're, they do have a style. And we can't tell them not to play that style. That's a legitimate style. I mean, if you look at BFG, they won the world championships with a very similar style to Groot, relying on their women looking for deep shots constantly. But it they just it was just noticeable that there remains a gap. Not a gulf as it has been in the past, 
but a gap that they have plenty of time to fill and hopefully they'll be able to if they can continue to come up against really high-level opposition. So let's talk a little bit just specifically about their road. Like we already talked about their pool. Um, actually, the Pilipinas game was not the pre-quarter. It was the pre-pre-quarter. Then they oh, played sorry, right, Austra- yeah. Australia Pie Wagon in the pre-quarter, winning that one 15-10, which was also a quite strong team. That team ended up beating uh, Black Eagles later on. So they're not they're, that was no pushover either, but won them 15-10. And then losing to Wildcard 10-15 in the rematch. And then... Uh, putting it up 11-15 against Mixtape in the game to get them into the fifth-place game. A game where, from what I heard, it was 11-10 at some point, and Hrut uh, had the disc to go 11-11. They could have won that game. They could have won a bit more... That's what I'm talking about. A bit more composure, being a bit more used to playing at that level. They could have definitely beaten Mixtape. They were putting it up to them step for step. They took on a bit of a lead even early on. I think they got the first break of the game. And those are the national champions. They were right there with them. It's just this mental edge. And also, like, mixtape 1 through 18 could all make starting 7 of Hurt, you know? That's what I wanted to ask. Like, I didn't get to see that mixtape game, but at that point in the tournament, those top players, think of Kolarts, Janssen, uh, Van der Wieden, were, were asked to do a lot more. Like, I think in Europe, they play much more with their whole team. At this tournament, they were asked to play a lot more tight, and the the top players were asked to do a lot more because they realized that the bottom of their roster, which wasn't a big roster to begin with, um, isn't quite as high level to deal with uh, with some of the big names that they had to deal with. Did you see that playing at all a role, like exhaustion from the top players, or is this something that I'm just inventing and, and maybe wasn't why uh, they faltered against Mixtape and uh, uh, Wild Well, there's two sides to it. One is, yes, their top players, you could see, would get a little bit tired. I have a sneaking suspicion that something kind of happened to Floor with her hip. I think during the Pilipinas game or something, she, I mean, she's still an excellent player. But it did seem like there was just an edge slightly missing from that point on. Mm -hmm. Um, The other side of it is when they do have to restrict their lines, it can be very frustrating for the other members of the team. Grut are a family. They're a complete unit. And every team says that. But like, Grut have been playing together since they were kids. And They're it did kind of seem like, yeah, well, some of them. <laughs> and it did kind of seem like when they started to restrict those lines, there would be a bit of frustration. That was a problem that they had to work through, that they did a good job of addressing, but it did reemerge kind of in the wildcard game. And it does raise the issue of where are they going to get more players from? Because you know every high-quality Dutch player wants to play Groot, but Groot don't want them. Groot want to keep what makes them Groot the ethos of their team that it's friends that it's people we like to play with they don't have a system I was actually talking to uh, Benjamin Ort after the final game he's like we, what Reading do we can't do that we yeah. don't have a hundred players in Amsterdam coming up through the system and it raises the question you say like oh in four years they'll be so much better what will that team look like in four years who will still be living in Holland what players will continue to come up will it just be junior Dutch players who they played with who they'll continue to kind of welcome into the team yeah, some of those, I mean, not every player that plays at a high level keeps playing also. I mean, some of them, when they get into their 20s, might stop playing. It's just, it's just you know, if a couple of them do, that, that's a huge hit to the huge hit to the team. So that's my big question mark over Hrut coming out of the tournament. And the thing that worries me also about this is not just Hrut, but how, I'm, I'm very curious how the Dutch national team program is going to handle Hrut um, in, the, in the next coming years. We've heard that they're that they're trying to put a Hrut-like team together for the U24s, 
And the question is for the national team, are they going to go mixed as their focus? Are they going to go men's, women's as their focus? If they go mixed as their focus, are they going to take hurt players over maybe some more talented players in the Netherlands that aren't crit players. There are a few, actually. Or are they going to want to keep that unit together? I think this is going to be a very interesting dynamic to follow to see what the Dutch national team scene does. Because if the Dutch national team focus on mixed and they get most of the crit players to buy in and take a couple other players, they could like some Mosink or maybe Fukushop, um, added onto that team, uh, maybe Paula Bas. That is a dangerous mixed team if they can all buy in and play together. And I know there's some friction there between how some of those players feel about Hurt and how Hurt feels about some of those players. So I'm very curious about that that aspect of things in, in the national team scene as well. It's a good point. I think the answer is everybody needs to get over it and get some gold for the orange because they definitely could. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's easy to pass judgments when I'm sitting in my nice, comfy home in sunny, sunny Limerick. I do want to extend a massive thank you to Hrut for being so welcoming and just letting me basically interfere and interrupt their tournament so frequently. <laughs> it, was a, it was an absolute delight on my part to get to see the a brief glimpse into the inner workings of what is a very private club. All right, so that's enough talk about Hrut. There's uh, tons of coverage on the LT World, uh, World Ultimate Club Championship site that Lorcan yourself wrote. So check that out if you want to read more about what happened on the inner workings of Hrut. Let's talk about the other top eight team. Hesslische Erdferkel um, had a bit of an easier road. They didn't, they didn't lose a game until they got to AMP in the quarterfinals. Um, they managed to... They did have a couple close ones. They managed to beat Urusol from Colombia by one point. They managed to beat Café de Luida from Japan by one point. Uh, they beat the other Japanese team, Iku, uh, and they beat the Australian national champions, Frisky. But aside from that, they had relatively easy teams. I mean, they beat Sugar Mix by three, but Sugar Mix is a team that knows Eric Frickel very well. I think that should be a higher score difference, in my opinion, having seen the two teams. And then they only lost to Crash by two points. Crash, a team that uh, I believe only lost to BFG on the whole tournament, it was a team from Canada that was actually quite strong. Um, so Eric Frickel had a great, great tournament. And what do you think about the Germans here? They were fantastic. I think one of the best things you could point to is that quarterfinal between them and Amp, they went 5-1 down and it was you were just so scared. You're like, they're rattled. They don't know how to play at this level. It looks like they're just getting outclassed. And then it was just that they were finding their feet and they were working out what they had to do right. They traded with them from 5-1 until the end of the game. Yeah. Which is no small feat. No, not Neither team Amp. was able to no. get a break. And Amp, a lot of people are pointing to Amp and thinking like, that's a national champion right there. A lot of people were really amazed at how they did against BFG in the semifinal in the BFG were able to handle them so con- like comprehensively. Yeah. They were absolutely fantastic. The likes of Stefan Dosher was unbelievable all tournament long. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Jonas Tigerman, Lassie H- Hoogen, just really great performances by so many of their players. Obviously, you're going to look to the crack and you're going to look to the pirate when you're thinking about the leaders of that team. Yes, I know they have real names. We've been through this. I much prefer calling them the Kraken and the Pirate. Those are two of the best nicknames in Frisbee. But just such an impressive side. Did you get to see much of them yourself? I mean, the only thing I... I mean, again, I was playing this tournament, so I didn't get to see as much. Uh, They weren't on the stream as much as I could 
would have liked. Uh, maybe there's some there's some games down in the fancy stream. I that wish I their Cathy Deluida game was on there. Their pre-quarter matchup that was phenomenal. That's the one thing I did get to see was the end of that game, especially the Universe Point. Uh, I filmed it, put it on the Eurozone Facebook, so go check that out if you haven't seen it yet. It was a crazy long Universe Point, and you would think with a crazy long Universe Point that that things would be heated, things would be tough, there'd be a lot of contested calls or something like that. No, it was the most spirited end of a game I've ever seen uh, with such high stakes and such a close game. Both teams just putting on a show in terms of level of play and level of spirit. Um, I thought it was a great, uh, great performance there by the Aardvarks. They, they have been accused by some young Dutch people in the world that maybe this team is a bit top-heavy, though if you look at their stats, I don't think they're that different than Hrut's stats, to be quite honest with you. I mean, yes, Dosher had 47 stats with 11 goals, 30, 11 assists, 36 goals. Uh, Christian Hamann had the Pirate, 42 assists, zero goals. Um, <laughs> well, he's clearly a thrower. <laughs> sure yeah. what kind of role he plays on the team. Zero <laughs> goals. Zero goals. That's, that's so does, impressive. Does he that's let so impressive. Throw the disc? Does he ever like? What, what is he doing? Um, uh, and Jonas Tigerman with twenty three and Lasse Hogan with thirty seven. Again, pretty male dominant, as I said, in terms of the stats uh, for sure. Um, but Krutz also had some some players in the high forties and in the thirties as well. So I don't think it's that different. Uh, though it kind of. When you see them play, Chris Hamann does, when things get tight, pretty much take every other disc. And, okay, yeah, he's a pretty dominant thrower on the field. But um, they earned it. They, they got their way there. And I think they, they did as a team effort. You saw in the Cafe de Luda game, their sideline players were just as happy to be there as their top players. Everybody was going into this thing as a team. And I think it's, it's not fair to say that they're just a team of stars. They are a family-like team, and and you can't... You can't get to the quarterfinals of Worlds without your backup doing huge jobs when they're needed, playing their role exactly the role they can play at the right times. And yes, you have a fantastic player in Haman and some others, but props, huge props to Ered Ferkel. We know they were top in, top team in Europe. Um, we weren't sure how they would fare against other teams. And beating teams like the Australian national champs, getting close games against Amp and Crash shows that this is a team that is class and congrats on getting quarterfinals. So then... There was a few more European teams who managed to make it to pre-quarters. We saw, like you mentioned earlier, Black Eagles found their found themselves there. Colorado were also able to get their way there. So starting with Black Eagles, I was quite impressed with them at this tournament. I know we know that they've been building up to this for such a long time. They were really putting it up to anchor before Lightning stopped play. They were narrowly bested by Pie Wagon in their game just before that one. They're real crucial. They even put it up quite well to a Seattle mixtape, losing 15-11 to them. But that was a game that was, I think, 8-8 or 9-9 at some point. I mean, they were with them for a lot of that game. It just was a couple mistakes at the end, and mixtape just went away with it. But but really played. And they went down and came back and made it 8-8. That was, that was a good game from Black Eagles. Just couldn't put it together for the whole thing. No, yeah, they had a three-point run to uh, almost close the half. They were 7-4 down. They brought it back to 7-7. And then Mixtape go 8-7. They go 8-8. And then, yeah, like you say, Mixtape kind of just took over in the second half. But brilliant performances. The likes of and- Andrew Dick, James Glover, Haley Dahlman. Just really strong performance from Black Eagles and an awful lot to be proud of. Because I know they really, really wanted to try and get out there and show what they have. But 
I still think they did. They made an excellent showing of themselves and for Scotland. Glasgow actually also did quite well. We'll talk about them in a little while as well. But the two Scottish teams did quite well for themselves at this event. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely played played really well. And another thing, what do you think about this? So I, I put on, on Facebook a comment out there. Does anybody have some comments about what happened at Worlds? And I got a got a comment from Reading saying, yeah, we beat Hrutz opening game and then ended 10 places below them. So they made it to the round of 32, got second place in their pool, and in that first round lost to Marvelous DC by three, who then ended up Marvelous DC losing to Crash by one, who I said only lost their only game to BFG. So that's a really strong team out of New Zealand. Um, what do you take? What do you think from this Reading performance? Uh, they, they they only lost one game. It looks like it was just at the wrong time, so it really kicked them down in terms of the ranking. Yeah, that's kind of exactly what happened to them. Apart from losing to Wildcard in the group. That was a crucial match against Marvelous DC, and I was watching it, and they kept coming close to fighting their way back into it. They kept making these great stands, but they just they threw it away too many times. I was watching the match, and I was on the sideline, and I was like, come on, you've got this, you've got this. They even went as far as to go 11-9 up. So they went 6-2 down, pulled it back to 6-8 at half, come out in the second half, and they're looking fantastic. And you're talking like Avril Hunter... Anya Godbold, Andy Lewis, just the kind of real stars of that team were stepping up, kicking some ass. Rebecca Palmer was fantastic, Alistair McNeil. And then the gas just went out of them. They go all the way up to 11-9. 7-9 down, four-point run to go 11-9 up, and you're thinking, they have this. They have this. And it's so within their grasp. And they just kind of shit the bed. They gave up a five-point run at that point, so... Yeah. Marvelous DC go up 14-11. They score one more to make it 12-14, but it's just too little too late. And They even got a turn. They even got a turn where they could have made it, where they could have got to 13. And you're thinking, look, it's not very likely, but let's value some possession. It was throwaways, and it wasn't even bad decisions. It was people throwing the disc into the ground, people going too high over their intended receivers. Oh, I know that game. <laughs> <laughs> All about that game, baby. That's why I uh, stopped comment. Or that's why I got into commentary. <laughs> But we call I that just, a wizard I, I, in, in a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Let's not talk about that. Okay, uh, yeah, so more about Reading. <laughs> yeah, they had one bad game. I mean, yeah, they lost to Wildcard, lose to Marvelous DC, and end up 17th. They must be disappointed, but they got some really good games against some really good opponents at Worlds. A lot of their best opponents were European ones, though, uh, which might be a bit frustrating for them, but... They did get those two really close games against Chuckies, which they should feel pretty happy about to get to play against a team from Singapore. Singapore, a country I think that has lots of potential, still not quite getting there in terms of results, but has some very talented players, some very talented athletes as well as throwers. And I, w- I do expect to see more of them in the future world's years as they start to figure out how to harness that power as a country. Um, but yeah, Reading, 17th place, uh, way down from Crut. And but like this is the same thing happened at Windmill, right? They also didn't do very well at Windmill even though they beat Crut in the Swiss draw play. It's it's just what Reading does. They know how to beat Crut, but that doesn't say much about how they're going to do against the rest of the competition. Like they just let it get away. Not just not to speak disparagingly of them. They've got this great program, they've got this fantastic system. And it just they just let it get away. There was a collective brain fart that lasted 15 of the most important minutes in that club's history. And that's what, what wound up getting to them. Like Marvelous DC are a very good team. Um, the Neil family at the heart of it, excellent players throughout. The likes of Lachlan Robertson is a player I've always rated very highly. 
but they just kind of they let it slip through their fingers. Were you able to see much out of Colorado, a team that also did quite well early stages of the tournament, and then in the end just kind of start. It looks like just kept losing universe point game after universe point game. They ended up losing to Voltaje from Colombia, fifteen fourteen in the bracket to get to ninth, and they ended up losing 14-13 against Frisky, the Australian champs. Um, and that ended up getting them a tie for 15th with Marvelous DC. Uh, did you see anything from the second-best German team at this tournament? I think Colorado is a team where that criticism of them being top-heavy is legitimate. They've got a couple of absolute stars, but then a lot of foot soldiers, and they need to start promoting those players up if they want to do better. Like, it's... The, un- the two universe point losses to Volcha and Frisky, the showing against Frisky was very impressive. But you can see it when they come up against the likes of Mixtape and when they went up against Battleship and Amp. Like, they were even close enough against Battleship, the Canadian team, the French-Canadian team, I believe, which is always a fun thing to listen to on the sideline. <laughs> but they they just need to expand themselves a little bit more. Like, Oliver Young is one of the best players in Europe. They need to team him up with a few more top quality people not to say they don't have other great players like philip stepniak's very good sabine manhers is fantastic it's just there's not enough of them i think that became very apparent in the high challenge games that they faced just looking at the stats oliver young has 32 assists and 10 goals that's 42 total stats the next highest is stepniak with 13 assists 12 goals to 25 total the next highest after that is Tom Stencil with 15 stats, just three assists and, and 12 goals. So it looks like, aside from those two players, they're actually quite distributed among the rest of the team. Um, but those two making very huge contributions compared to everyone else. So yeah, top-heavy is is definitely an apt adjective uh, for this Colorado team. Why, thank you, Ravi. Yeah, you did good. You did good, buddy. <laughs> look at me, look at me. All right, all right. But yeah, huge props to uh, the two German sides. Or the... Germany in general, producing some top quality mix ultimate. Sugar mix as well. I'm. It sucks. It, it sucks to go out against a countryman. You never want to lose to somebody from your same country. And looking through the rest of them, I don't know if they could have done quite as well against any of the other teams in that division, but or in that round even. But you would have loved to see him have a shot at it. Yeah. They put up a couple of pretty good results. I mean, I think they're best looking result is that they beat the Chuckies on universe they also beat uh australia vanguard who did pretty well in the tournament on universe as well um and so they had, they had a couple of good results sugar mix germany mixed ultimate something something very strong i mean we've known that last year i believe Eric freckle and colorado both in the top four of the ucf um both teams mm-hmm. do well at windmill very regularly and uh, so yeah this is a, this is the this is not really a surprise, but it's good that it worked out on the top stage with these German mixed teams. One of the team I want to talk to you about a little bit, they didn't do quite as well results-wise, made it to the top 32, but it was Disc because they actually had one of the closest to the greatest upset uh, of a European team in that they took Slow White, who was the eventual silver medalist of the tournament, to Universe Point and apparently had a shot to maybe even win that game. Um, Slow White, I, I have a friend on that team. He told me they had their O-line just had an off game and uh, and maybe just took advantage of it and, and ended up taking a, that team to Universe. And what a story that would have been if they could have put that one away. But sadly, in the end, uh, didn't manage to. No, it was quite sad. And it's something that's really important to bear in mind is they were up 11-9 in a game that finished 14-13. Like, Slow White 
had to dig themselves out of a hole. And you have to credit Movie to say it's one thing to say Slowly had an off game offensively and the kind of style they play has quick as it is give and go. We even saw it in the final. They can overshoot each other a little bit every now and again. They can brush each other a little bit too much, but that doesn't mean that the team will be able to take advantage of it. Like, Movie Disc kept putting them under pressure. They go up 7-4 in the first half. Slow White are able to pull it back to make it 7-7. Movie Disc hold, take half. They go up 9-11 in the second half. And again, it's another three-point run by Slow White in order to just scratch and claw their way back into the game. But Movie Disc kind of really impressive, especially in the early goings. Like That was the second game of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like Slow White had already locked up the group. What is a little surprising is that you go 14-13 against Slow White, and then they go and lose 15-13 to Smog. Yes. Not to disparage Smog, they're a very good team. But you'd think after that kind of a dominating, after that powerful a performance, you'd be able to capitalize on it. And they never really looked that good again for the rest of the week. I mean, in fairness, Smog did take Slow White to a pretty close game as well. But the difference was that at that point, Slow White had already wrapped up the pool, so the game yeah. didn't matter to them, whereas it really mattered to Smog if they could have gotten that win. Um, yeah, And Smog had a few chances, a few chances to take a lead in that game. I got to see a good bit of that one, and again, a few throwaways, but I think that time was it was more down to the pressure that they were under, because Slow White kind of realized, like, we legit need to fight our way back into this because we want to make sure we win this game. It's not something we want to just throw away. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about overall aspects of spirit in a bit, but I do have to mention a lot a lot of teams had really yeah, good spirit. What's spirits. up with that? Moby Disc uh kind of the highest score they got was an eleven. That was against Yanomami, which actually originally was a nineteen, because this Venezuela Yanomami team does not know how to score spirits, and I think Wiftif went up to them and were like, Look, I don't think you understand what a nineteen in spirit actually is. So they made them change it. Um and it became an 11, and a lot of scores below 10. And I do know that the, the game against Cafe de Luida, which they ended up losing by two points to Cafe de Luida in pool play, we had a game just opposite, uh, like one field over from them in the next round, and there was a lot of time between rounds. Their game didn't finish until three points at least into our game because there were spirit timeouts and things going on there. So Movie Disc did have a couple things they need to work on in that department of of the game but uh uh we'll talk more about spirit in a bit but talking about teams that didn't do that great at spirit um but did quite well in results can you you want to talk a little bit about glasgow i did uh the first time i really got to have a look at them they were playing vulture and that is how you say that Vol- voltaje. how do you say it voltaje, voltaje? yeah it's a j is right. a h in spanish it's not that a... game almost turned into a fist fight <laughs> like it got to the point where there was repeated timeouts. They had to have a spirit timeout. And then subsequently after that, they had to go and request game advisors to come over and police the end of the game. It was intense and it was close. And I never really knew that, or I never really thought that ill of Glasgow Spirit before, but I was talking to a few people and it, it is a little bit of a reputation that they have going around for them. Doesn't take away from the fact they had a very impressive tournament, especially when you consider the circumstances under which they entered the tournament. Like they lost two of their best players in Alice Sai and <coughs> in Fraser and Sai, which are two big, big losses, and they were still able to bring together a squad and go over there and do some substantial damage. They've got a couple of absolutely fantastic players, the likes of 
Matthew Tomlinson, Sean Webb. I'm a huge fan of Katie Flight, who's uh, one of the best female throwers in Europe. The spirit thing is just puts a little bit of a, a cloud over their performance. I mean, in fairness, I'm just looking at their spirit scores real quick. They had a really bad game where Voltaje gave them a four. We actually, with the Wizards, had a pretty bad game against them as well. They, they crushed us, but, but uh, we gave them an eight, and I think that was a little generous based on how we felt at the end of that game. But aside from those, those two games and the game against Seski where they got a seven, they had all scores above a 10. So it's just like, I'm not sure if it's, through the whole tournament, they were bad, or just they had three three bad games. That, well, three is almost half the games they played, so that's not really that excusable. But but uh, the rest of their games seem to be quite pleasant. So it might just be if one thing just goes wrong, the whole team can kind of come down. I don't know, but definitely some issues they had to work on from what I saw, especially when we played against them. But um, seems like most of their games didn't quite have that many problems. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's very important to note that. The only game I got to see them play a substantial amount of was that game against Voltaje. Voltaje? Voltaje. And Voltaje. <laughs> and like I said, that one almost got violent, like along the sideline. And well, it was just it was just one of those things where the two teams were making each other worse as the game progressed. Yeah, I have to say spirit wise. I mean, Colombia had a pretty bad showing. Um, oh, I believe that aside rough. from Revolution, Revolution actually were fine. Revolution had great spirit throughout the whole tournament. And they're the only team that wins as well so maybe those two things kind of go a little hand in hand they have more experience at this level than anyone else um from that country but most of the teams were at the bottom i think in the mixed teams two the two worst teams was colombian uh that voltaje was one of them i think Urosol was another one and then macondo was like seventh worst or something like that so i think all their teams at some point maybe maybe i'm missing the last round but i remember hearing a stat that except for revolution Every Colombian team was in the bottom six of their division in spirit. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm from Colombia, half, half from Colombia. It's very sad to see that they still haven't figured out how to get that. It's cool to see that that Revolution have figured it out because I think they everybody was happy to play them both in terms of level and in terms of spirit. Um, so, but aside from aside from Revolution, the rest of the country still has a lot to work on in terms of spirit. But. We'll get, to, we'll get to spirit stuff in a bit. Anything else results-wise you want to talk about mix? We've talked for quite a long time, so maybe it's about time to move on uh, to women's, uh, if you're about ready for that. Yeah, I suppose we, uh, we should. We don't want to be going on forever. But before we do that, got to talk about the picks, unless we want to say something else. No, I was just going to commend everybody on their performance. Okay. How great it was, and I'm sure we'll talk about Flying Rabbits later on. Yeah, so. we will. We will. Um, okay, mixed the bracket, the the picks contest. We both had Hood and Eric Ferkel picked, um, mm-hmm. and the difference in our mixed picks was you had Black Eagles and I had Redding. So Black Eagles got twelfth, Redding got twenty first. Therefore, Lorkin has won. Lorkin has won the mixed division. There, so one zero so far in the picks contest at Worlds. Feel good. Eat it. Feeling good. I I honestly, when you were announcing, it was so long ago that we picked those, and we picked them kind of on the fly. I was just going back and forth. I was like, I, I did, I did pick Black Eagles, didn't I? <laughs> For the love of God, tell me I picked Black Eagles. I was like, I might have picked Colorado. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's fine. They also did quite well. Yeah, so they both did better than Redding. So you would have beat me either way there, uh, whether you pick Colorado or Black Eagles. So Redding screwed me over. Not doing quite as well as I thought. But that's it for the mixed. All right, women's division. So here 
No teams in the top eight. We talked in our preview podcast that we guessed that none of the women's teams were going to really come close to making top eight. And another thing we predicted, would any team beat Iceni's 11th place finish at Lecco? And we both said, nah, we don't really think that's going to happen. The top 10 teams are too strong. We were correct in that the best performing team was Russia Brilliance at 11th place and Atletico at 12th. But Brilliance, Brilliance were good. And they made things quite interesting, almost beating Huck. Uh, from Japan in the pre-quarter round, would have made it into quarters, um, but losing that game on universe point. So, Lorkin, I know you were focused mainly on mix, but can you tell me a bit about what you saw from this Russian brilliance team? Aptly named. They were really impressive. They opened the tournament up by beating Yaka 15-9, which surprised a lot of Americans, because a lot of Americans had earmarked Yaka as the best player, as the best team. Best player. You, no, you were right. You were right. You were right the first time. You were right the first yeah, time. Yeah. They marked them with yeah, the best yeah, player. That's what, yeah, that's what people yeah. saw. Saw Robin Wise. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly <laughs> what they did. And Brilliance just kind of showed they were more of a team. They uh-huh. had a few more players who were just fantastic. Now, obviously, Pustovaya and Podolskaya are generational talents, but it's, <laughs> they have a few other really impressive players. Badiagina had a fantastic tournament. She got 26 goals, which is... That's just ludicrous. Uh, friend of the podcast, because I love saying that, Elisa Tizek. First ever a, interviewer, interviewee on the podcast. First episode, Elisa Tizek. Huge, huge fan. Like, cause honestly, when we're starting this off and you're like, I want to do interviews, it's like, who the shit is going to talk to us? Goes, well, one of the one of the best women in Europe wants to talk to us. I was like, no, she doesn't. And then she did. So huge fan. And she was fantastic. 13 assists, 16 goals. They were fantastic. They only lost 15-12 to Brute Squad. Which really, you know, and they only lost 15-12 to Sixers. Um, I don't really know what happened to them against Uno because Uno were very good. They wound up losing 15-11 to them. But it, it does make you think like if they could have, they were able to get over that hump in the pre-quarter against Huck. Would they have been able to do a little bit of damage in the semi or in the quarterfinals? They had to take Revolution in the quarterfinal. I'm not sure they would have quite been up to that task. But you don't know, like maybe lower in the bracket, lower in the bracket, maybe. Brilliant, sir. Very athletic team, and that was Revolution's whole thing. And I don't think Brilliance rattle at all. Like teams <laughs> would go down to Revolution, and they'd be—they just feel like they didn't know how to run their way back into the game. But that's Brilliance are all about that athleticism. So obviously, a favorite going into it would have been Revolution, but I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a sure thing. No, I think I think I think it would, I think Huck got beaten fifteen eight. Uh, by Revolution, but I think that's a matchup. I think Revolution learned how to beat Japanese teams. They also crushed mud in mm-hmm. their in their pool stages. So I think that's something I really worked on. How do we attack this Japanese style? And I saw a lot of creative stuff out of Revolution. So I think they really were prepared for that. But were they prepared for the Russian style? Even though they crushed Huck, who beat Brilliance on Universe, I think Brilliance would have had a better game. I think you're right on that against Revolution there. But I still back Revolution. I think the athleticism, though brilliance are athletic and i saw some great stuff out of them in terms of that i think revolution are more athletic so i think in that matchup um revolution just plays that game a little mm. better but uh yeah but it would have been good to see would have been good to see but yeah going up 4-0 to start against yaka um was definitely a shocker to some people um but like i, I was saying before this tournament this team had 12 out of 15 of the russian national team that won beach worlds and they showed they can do it on grass too um Great stuff out of the Russian women. Um, 
unique position Russia finds itself in. I would say probably the only country in Europe where the women outpace the men, where the women's division is of a higher standard than the men's. I would division. say Finland Finland falls in there as well, for sure. That's not a bad show. Yeah. That's not a bad show. Atletico yeah. are quite a bit better than Otso. <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Otso played well. Uh, we'll talk about them later. And they also had a lot of pickups. But yeah, anyway. So brilliance. The best European women's team, I think it's fair to say, at Worlds. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, ranking-wise. <laughs> and also uh, on the, the eye test, I believe so as well. Yeah. Well, we don't we don't know ranking-wise. They were 8-5 up at half over Atletico when that thunderstorm hit. That's a big lead. I mean, teams have come back from that, but that's a, that's a big lead. I mean, people said it was a big lead in World War II, but look what Finland did there. <laughs> it's a nice little, nice little shout-out to the yeah. uh, Finnish resistance. <laughs> the old Finnish resistance, I remember reading about that. Ah, you know, the white death man. That guy's going to live in infamy forever. That guy was fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe Atletico could have come back from that, but I do think Brilliance were, I mean... I, again, I didn't get to watch as much as I would have liked, but from what I saw and from what I heard around the buzz around the tournament was that Brilliance were really, really good and that 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 game uh, was great. But the third best, um, before we before we go to the third best, let's talk a little bit about Letico. They had a quite a good tournament as well. Um, we knew they were European champions. Mm-hmm. We knew they had a very tough pool starting off this tournament. They did take Revolution of fifteen ten, which is quite respectable. Um, they did end up losing to Mud 15-8, so not quite ready for that Japanese style of play, but had some good results otherwise, and I think their closest game after that was them beating Iceni on Universe in, in one of the bracket play games. But um, what do you hear about uh, this Atletico team? Basically the same thing everybody else heard. The players who we've come to expect them to run the show, ran the show, the likes of, I mean, Essie Inkinen was obviously absolutely fantastic. Uh, Vilma Heinonen. Vilma Nailed it. In one. Uh, I feel like I nailed it first time. First time as well, because we're... Uh, first time. There's no way anybody could possibly check that. Uh, Rackel Feister was fantastic. Uh, that woman I love to mention so much, Maya Leno, was really great. She got 16 goals. Um, obviously, Sarah Eklund, that's one hell of a player to inject into your team. And you can see like the way that she had been playing with them for the warm-up, for a few warm-up tournaments um, and also playing with them. A couple of uh, training games really stood to them. That connection was there. Lizzie Jones as well, getting 17 assists uh, and two goals. The American pickup mm-hmm. they, grabbed, they grabbed there. Um, so, yeah, Atletico having a pretty big team effort. Of course, Essie Inkinen being huge with 26 assists and eight goals on the team. Um, but some great results from Atletico. I think this team is going to be a European powerhouse for, for some years to come. Uh, and and I think they should be pretty happy with with their result here in, in Cincinnati. All right, Lorcan. It's time. It's time. I already apologized. Yeah, but that was on kind of a uh, special episode. We haven't, this is like a main episode. It's time to eat some humble pie. I had to eat it in person. <laughs> I had to eat it in person. Yeah, they All come right. up to you. They come up to you and talk to you, give you a couple words. No, they didn't fucking come up to me. Nobody knows what I look like, <laughs> mercifully. So I was standing there watching the final group games of the Pool E in the mixed division. Hurut were playing. Chucky's and Reading were also playing next to me. I think they were playing Wildcard. Anyway, it's relevant. So Jacqueline Varals was there. 
And I was just chatting to her a little bit, and I was like, so things are going pretty well. Oh, Captain, my captain. <laughs> and I was like, uh, so how do you guys feel? He goes, ah, oh, you know, it feels pretty good. We really uh, vindicated ourselves because, you know, like the Ultra World article and this Eurozone thing. People were like saying we were, I don't even think she said the full name. I think she said like Euro thing. Ah, no respect. And we don't deserve it either. So that's yeah, fine. I, I know. Like uh, every, anybody who respects us doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're meant to be the serious one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she was like, and she was saying this to my face. Clearly, completely unaware of who I was. Uh, I was just like, oh, yeah, well, as a person who wrote that article <laughs> and said those things on the podcast, <laughs> I was just this moment of being like, yeah, hi, I'm Lorcan. Hey, I'm that guy nice meet emailing. You. And um, now nah, you know it's, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, so Crow tastes pretty, pretty okay. Another great, another um, great moment for me in terms of this was I'm um, actually pretty good friends with Vanessa Lowe. I played with her at Worlds four years ago. Um, oh and crap! She, no, it was she, it was Vanessa Lowe I was talking to, not Jack. Again, just not up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she came up to me and was like, "Why does Lorkin think I'm the captain of Iceni? She's definitely not the captain of Iceni. You wrote that in your article, and apparently Iceni was giving her a lot of shit for it, like making fun of her, calling her captain. Oh man, like, like this it was. <laughs> this was the source of a lot of amusement from the ICD team. Uh, Good. Well, I'm glad I could bring them some joy. But no, Veleselo was not a captain of Iceni this year. I I think I think we should take some credit. <laughs> I think uh I think our dismissal of them, callous as it was and based on evidence. <laughs> this is why I never have evidence to back up my points, Ravi. Mm-hmm. Like the one time the one time I rely on evidence rather than just gut feeling, and I'm just as wrong as when I rely on gut feeling. Fuck that, I'm going with pure pure gut feeling from now on. But I mean, look, we we, we said that seagulls might have a good shot. At taking them because Lysini's weakened and whatever. I seen you come out and beat Seagulls 15 9. Then we're like, all right, but there's no chance they're going to beat Swampy Barg, a top Japanese team. They go out and beat Swampy Barg 15 13. And that, those are like the two games that really shut us up in terms of what's going on. Yeah, they got crushed by Fury. They got crushed by Riot. Um, they're not quite there in terms of the top eight. They're, they're, not, they're not there. They ended up getting 16th. They are a notch down from where they were at Lecco. They came 11th at Lecco, and I think they were a much stronger team back then. But with the losses they had in terms of personnel and the fact they were able to come and get 16th at Worlds, even with those losses, I think speaks to the fact that this is a strong program. They're not going away. And if people think that this is going to be a fight at the UCF just between Yaka and Atletico and maybe Shout um, and Brilliance, if, if, they can, if they can come with that type of team to UCF, though, I, I kind of doubt it. And maybe Mines. Mines, of course. And, like, yeah, I seen her out of it. They are not out of it. And they are, maybe they are definitely... Well, I'll talk to Trump about Troubles in a sec. But uh, um, they are not out of it, and they're definitely still in the conversation for a title contender at the UCF, for sure. And uh, especially if they can get some of those players back that weren't able to make the trip to Cincinnati. Um, look out for Iceni. They're not dead yet. And... Uh, well, something else. It's not even that they're not dead yet. It's that I do think they're going through a rebirth because they've always been the female version of Clapham in that the best players go to play for them. I mean, you talk to Sick. Sick was founded by, I think, seven players. It's founded by a group of players who were all like, we want to have a second legitimate team in London. And all of them except one wound up going to Iceni. Okay. <laughs> they just naturally attract all the best players towards Iceni. And they realized that it wasn't a sustainable model. And they realized that they really wanted to start giving back to the community. So that's something that they're going to be doing more of going forward. 
So I think we could really see a new kind of Iceni developing, and that's that's a dangerous prospect. So still showing they have that fight, they have that spirit, they have that culture, and ho- and they're going to build on it and develop something that they've never had before, which is kind of a more communal sense to the team. So yeah, definitely Iceni are whatever the opposite of dead is. Alive, I think is the. I don't know. I've never felt it. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit further down the tournament. Um, Yaka having a brutal pool, having to deal with uh, brilliance uh, and all, literally almost getting knocked out of the tournament in the opening rounds. I mean, they beat Bamboo, I think, 15-12, and they had losses to, what was it, Brute Squad. Um, so, yeah, brilliance, Brute Squad, uh, Bamboo, they beat 15-13, even closer, and then lose to Fusion on Universe. So if they had lost that game against Bamboo, they would have added contention right away. And they bounced back from that, managed to get a 17th place tie win uh, with Uno, tied placement with Uno, um, after getting uh, some nice wins over Aerosol from Columbia and Fusion. I think they're really happy to end the tournament, beating some strong teams in commanding fashion. But, uh, yeah, they were the next best European team after the Iceni 16th place. We didn't get to see those two teams match up, so we don't know exactly how they would have done head-to-head. But uh, Yaka, rough start, rough pool, managing to stay alive. And it's especially important, I think, that when they got over Fusion in the latter stages, they won 59. They lost to Fusion on Universe Point. And to be able to correct that when going forward shows that they are able to, that they do learn, they do get much better throughout the course of the tournament. I really thought they could win the game against Iris. They wound up losing 15-12. I, I got to catch a little bit of it, and it seemed like they were right there with them. And Iris kind of handled Iceni when they played mm-hmm. them a little bit in the latter stages of the tournament. So seeing those two teams match up would have been very interesting. I do feel obliged that we need to mention the likes of Audrey Shaw. We need to mention the likes of Annika Wolfsteiner. Wolfsteiner was really good. I mean, that was... She was... Ooh. I had heard yeah. that, like, when we were talking about their pickups that we're not talking about Wolfsteiner enough. And, you know, I had seen a bit of it at Windmill, mm-hmm. but I think at Worlds she had, she really showed that she, she should be talking about in that, in that conversation. Though, you know, they tell us, you know, why do you always mention Robin? Why do you always mention Paula? Look, Robin Wiseman was the stat leader of the women's division with 50 total points attributed to her name. Yeah, that was kind of 36 nuts. assists yeah, and bonkers. 14 goals. So, look. I know, I know Yaka's a great team. We, we want to talk about the whole team. I'm, you know, we saw Keith Rayner's piece when he did the uh, video analysis was talking a lot about Wiseman and Boss, maybe a bit too much, but Wiseman's a game changer in, a, in the hugest of ways, and she showed it here that uh, she really helps put this team up quite a few notches. I'm curious. I don't think she's going to be coming back for EUCF, so I'm curious how they're going to do without her. Actually, I forgot. Uh, from what I heard, they're not playing the series this year. So they're, they're actually not going to regionals. Um, they've decided to end their season, which is something we can talk about maybe at the end of the podcast, how UCF is going to look like this year, because I think a few teams are feeling that as well. But um, here at Worlds, 17th place, I think a good finish. Um, let's see, who else do we got in the women's division? We have... Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about Shout. All right, go for it, talk about Shout. So they started off really well in this tournament kick the crap out of rampage you'd expect them to 15 12 against ozone second game of the tournament and this was back when people were okay so ozone are kind of seen as the weakest of the american women's teams going over there but at the end of the day they're american that's still an incredibly strong side and this cusp shout team is relatively young i mean it's, it's similar enough to 
It's, I mean, it's a cusp team. So that's youth players who were trained by the youth players, the division above them. And it just kind of keeps rolling and building like that. Uh, the Schizieri sisters were fantastic, as were several other players like Pagliariani. And just, I thought the way they started there was brilliant. They then go on to batter Nice Bristols and Mantis. And you start to think, oh, yeah, okay, okay, shout. They've pulled it together. Maybe they've taken that step, you know, after losing in the finals two years ago and trying to find themselves and trying to find out what it is they want to be. Have they taken that step now? Came undone against Huck. But again, I just think that's the unfamiliarity with the Japanese style. Yeah. can really make it difficult. Like if you don't have... Like if you don't just resort to hucking it to people who are two foot taller than their deep defender, you can kind of get into trouble against them. Or if you have... Or if you don't really have like lots of players you can really rely on universally. They wound up coming undone against Atletico. Understandably, Atletico just had that like little extra edge of experience, that little extra feeling of like, oh, we've got this, we can take care of this game. But really even performance across the team. Obviously, Laura Feralfi is their leader. She's got 24 assists, she's got 10 goals. That woman is is Italian women's ultimate at times. But still, so many other fantastic talents coming up. Francesca Sorrenti, I thought was absolutely fantastic. 12 assists, 8 goals, just super versatile. Great players throughout the team, and I really think... Kind of in a mirror image of Lofada, only maybe a year, maybe two years behind them in terms of development. Mm-hmm. That when they made that final two years ago, it was like, this is a bit of a surprise. What can they do from here? And they're just going to keep building. So that's a team very much on the rise. All right. Next, we can talk a little bit about the two Swiss teams, Zuf and Fabulous. I think the biggest story here is in the quarters for 24th place, Zuf beating Fabulous 15-13. They had beaten them at the Swiss Championships uh, a couple mm-hmm. weeks before Worlds, but that was not the full oh, Fabulous Zuf. team because some of their players are from other clubs that are coming to Worlds. Zuf showing here that they can beat them on the world stage um, and winning in the game that matters. And I think that was a huge game for them. I know both of them were really up for that one. Um, you know, it kind of sucks having to play your own country women at a tournament like Worlds, but both teams really, really wanted to win and Zuf ending up coming out on top and managing to get a 19th place finish, uh, very respectable from a team that, you know, since they, I think they made the finals in like 2014 or something like that, but since then have kind of dropped off in, in European high-level play, but Zuf showing that they definitely have some firepower and uh, are not to be messed with. And, you know, that, that's a team I'd, I'd be excited to see, especially with some teams dropping off, how they, how they might do at the EUCF later this year. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about big wins that they got there. I think the biggest shock win, maybe not to them or some of the European fans back home, but kind of the world as a whole, they beat Ellipses in the group. All right. 15, 13. And people were really pointing at Ellipses going like, that's a good Australian team. That's a team who could show up and do some damage. They were top 10 in the end. So that's not, that's no slouch. No slouch at all. And Zuf Fekin put it to them in like a big way. They were able to take half eight, seven. They never relinquished the lead or they relinquished the lead. Sorry. Early on in the second half, they go down nine, eight and you start to think, Oh, it's, kind of going away from them now they regained their composure immediately broke back to go back up and then just held and won the game with a break won the game with a break which is no small feat and really speaks to how fantastic they are obviously laura kunzelman is phenomenal but cybert guttinger tudiman lundsman tess young i thought was very good 
strong team, strong team. And when you say like it's great to have Swiss Ultimate have so many women's teams, um, I, I hope I get this right. Fabhaft, Fabsaft, which is Fabulous' second women's team, being able to go to nationals, first time it's ever been a second women's team at a nationals. Swiss Women's Ultimate is really starting to put in some work. I know we're going to talk about this in a little while, but like the kind of work we really need to see starting to happen on the European women's scene. Yeah, so just talk a little bit about Fabulous. They lost that game to Zuf and then lost another game to Mantis, who I think were very happy to get a 21st place finish. Uh, Mantis, they had a couple mm. of losses early, but managed to, you know, they, they took Uno to 15-11 in bracket play. Uh, they took they beat Fabulous, which are previous European champions. So I think they're also feeling really good. The women from Vienna ended up tying with Kuzb Schout for 21st and Fabulous getting 23rd. So out of the top, Teams, a lot, a lot of, I mean, no teams in the top eight, no teams in the top 10 even, but uh, still a very tight matchup between the top teams of Europe. So I think it's going to be a quite interesting UCF we see, but still some work to do if they really want to push to that next level. Again, the only big win we got over a team in the top 10 was Zuf beating Ellipsis. And aside from that, um, there were some close ones, really close brilliance, almost taking Huck and getting to the top eight, but but uh, not really getting too many other wins against the top 10 teams and a little bit of distance even uh, there as well. So, yeah, that, that'll do it for, I think, most of the teams. Well, Sorry? It's the only division where we didn't get anybody into the top eight. Yeah. And do you have any idea why that would be? I mean, even if you look at the other divisions, we had some, like, real close chances. Like, Brilliance were the only team who really came within striking distance of the top eight as well. Not to speak too ill of... I senior Atletico. But if we're closing the gap, what do you think is the missing step in the women's division in Europe right now? And I extend this question because obviously we only know so much. We're both two dudes. We don't uh, play an awful lot. I know the Irish women's scene tangentially and it's underdeveloped to say the least. So I put it out to everybody listening as well. But like, what what do you think is the missing ingredient in women's? I think it's just commitment to the division i think there's a lot of good women in europe but a lot of them play high level mixed um and they just i think that just finding a full team in your city of good enough women's players is hard to do right now and maybe not enough um this is this is the theory i i, I don't know uh women please get out to me and tell me if, if i'm totally out of line here but like maybe some of them are thinking well we could play high level mixed right now or put in the work to make some women's teams. And we do see some, you know, some countries making some big strides, gentle ladies coming out the last couple of years, showing that Belgian women's ultimate can do some good stuff. Um, uh, Seagulls coming out being a fantastic German side. But like you look at, you look at tournaments like the EUCR, the EUCR central, which is the region I used to play in would regularly have like five women's teams even want to go to regionals. And then they like last year they qualified to the two teams that qualified didn't even go to finals. So something about they're just not there's not enough women's teams committing to high level play. And that might be because in your own national championship there's not enough competition and so that you don't want to make your team built around that. I don't I don't know exactly what is the reason why. Or maybe there's just not enough women playing and we need more efforts like the Eurostars tour to uh to empower and and uh inspire the women of our continent to play more women's ultimate. I don't know, but I, I think it's getting better. I feel like it's getting better. Um, and I think we're on the right trajectory, but 
it's still the most underdeveloped division. I think it's the most underdeveloped division in almost any part of the world. But in Europe, if you really look at how we are compared globally, it's the least developed in terms of, you know, how, how a team can do in the top eight. I do think when we get to national teams, things get a lot better because then women really get committed to making those women's national teams. But on the club team scene, it's not quite there. And I'm not sure why. I hear, I That's exactly where I hear you. And that's where my presumption because that that's all it really can be presumption of what the gap is we can pull together resources and create some quite strong teams like a, a world's was it six through ten were all european teams it was like russia germany switzerland and then i believe it was austria and finland that sounds right so like five teams five teams all in a row although austria and finland obviously finishing joint ninth because they couldn't play out any mm-hmm. of those games but it just seems like there isn't the player base. So how do we address that? Like you say, where's the inspiration coming from? Where's the attraction coming from that draws young women towards our sport? That seems to me to be a big thing, that there just isn't quite the player base, even from the young I level. think these things like the, these, 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 these uh, activities like the Eurostars Tour, things like Windmill, putting the women's uh, game on more of a pedestal, like traditionally always letting the men's play because right now it is the strongest division, but like saying, okay, well, if we want women's to get better, we're going to have to do some work there. And I think I do hear more chirping about proposed solutions. You never know if they're going to work or not, but at least I hear people trying to solve this problem in many different ways. And I think we need to keep, keep working at it because I would love to see women's ultimate get better in in Europe. And I think it can. Um, So whatever you guys can suggest, uh, you know, we'll do our best to see if what we can help promote uh, here in Eurozone. But uh, of course, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But okay. So talking a little bit more about results, I wanted to talk about one more team that had some trouble this tournament. And that is uh, the troubles from Poland. They had a rough pool themselves. Um, Meinzel Machen, Sixers, Uno, in their pool, as well as a team that I think everyone thought would be a pushover, but that was the Chinese Taipei Dione Kume team, who actually beat Troubles 15-12, surprising everybody, and uh, ended up playing really tight games with Mainz, and so this Chinese Taipei team was actually quite good and knocked Troubles out of the tournament. I think that was a team we were both high on, um, looking at their results at Windmill, looking at their results at previous EUCFs, looking at how they've done in the World Games, but just got knocked out a bit early, and um, yeah, troubles. Not, not. I'm sure they're very disappointed in their world's performance, but sadly, I think they just got the rough draw there. Uh, and then going down and losing to Bamboo, who, as we talked about before, were in that pool with Yaka, Brilliance, Brute Squad, um, and Fusion. So both of these teams, I think, were getting the rough side of really tough pools. They had to play each other, which at least you get a competitive game out of it. You don't have to go play some chumps after you lose. But Troubles losing that game again and then going further down the tournament. Um, eventually, after that, managing to right the ship, doing quite well. Beating Nice Bristols on a universe point. Another team that we thought were uh, were pretty hot after beating Iceni twice at UK Tour. But what do you think about, let's talk about Troubles and Bristols and, and maybe their, their lower road uh, in this tournament and what to make of that. I thought Nice Bristols definitely had a good shout of being the best women's team coming out of the UK, at least. I thought they'd done a lot of work. They've got some really strong players. Alice Beeching is well-established as being a fantastic player, the same as uh, Kelly Weiss, um, Bailey Melvin Tang. 
they're all they had some strong players, they just couldn't really get the results to go for them. Losing fifteen eleven to Mantis in their second game really surprised 15, me. Fifteen six to Shout like you say, they after just... that as well. <clears throat> that one that one was rough. <laughs> um they had a very close game against Traffic. They had an epic showdown against Sick, which they wound up losing on Universe Point. Big shout out to Sick. But it was just kind of a matter of all these teams. It's a, it's a similar enough thing you could say about Mines as well, who had a very rough start to the tournament, and all their best performances seemed to come against either teams no one had really heard of before or other European teams. So I think all these kinds of things, they just speak to the gulf we were just talking about and how once we step outside of Europe, it gets much more difficult for teams who we do see as being very good. I mean, think of Mines, Troubles and uh, Nice Bristols. We thought, and Sick as well, just throw them in there. We thought they could definitely go over there and when they go over there, you're like, oh, I wonder what scalps they could take. Or is it a matter of, certainly as I started to feel as the tournament progressed and these results started to come in, I was like, oh, I really hope they can find their feet because they just looked a little bit out of their depth. Yeah, mine's going even further down in the tournament and uh, actually losing their final game against the Seagulls 8-6. Of course, it didn't finish up yet, but that's a, that's a maybe a preview of the German national championships that are coming up later this year. Um yeah, mine's not not quite doing as well as we would have thought uh, based on their windmill victory. But, um, you know, that's tough. It's Worlds. Some teams are going to end up down there. It's just like uh, out of all these teams we're talking about, they all had chances. But, you know, at some point, those teams are going to some, – some teams have to be at the bottom of Worlds. And with this many European teams, some of them are going to end up down there. Yeah, that's fair. In the picks um, – we both had Atletico Brilliance, which were the top two teams. Good on us uh, there. That is going to end when we get to the men's division. We actually picking the top two teams, but um, the the tiebreaker was uh, I picked Yaka, you picked Shout. Yaka got seventeenth, Shout got twenty first. So I win this round, Lorkin, uh, one to one now. One Come to one. on. Um, so that'll take Come us on. into the men's. Fuck, I thought I was, I thought Shout did better than that. All right, that's fine. We'll move on to men's. men's. All right, so we've got to start things off with the shocker, the shocking thing about the men's. The two shockers. The big shocking thing is the reversal of the top two that we thought. So I think we both thought going into this tournament, Clapham Kuzb, just the strongest teams in Europe, it's going to be Clapham Kuzb. Thought both those teams had shots at semifinal yeah, places. Definitely quarters, right? Like definitely quarters. And uh, oh man, I was pretty locked in. At least one of them. At le- if you'd said, "Look, at least one of them," and you can bet your house on it, and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm gonna bet and my." Especially house when on you it. see Kuz come out and beat Clapham fifteen ten, you're thinking, and looked so good doing but it. Neither of those teams in the quarters, the two teams that made the quarters, were actually bad skid who beat Clapham to get there, as well as beating Nomadic Tribe, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, 15-13 in pool play, which is an impressive feat given how we saw them play later on in the tournament. I actually got to watch a good portion of that game. For some reason, I can't, I think that was on the day when, the one day I was actually coming. Yeah, that was an early game. That game was fun. Oh, yeah, right, we'll talk about that in a sec. But before we get there, the other team making the quarterfinals, another, com- both of these teams had comeback wins, both of them down 8-5 at half, both of them coming back and winning on Universe. Chuck, the Frenchman beating General Strike. Uh, Mark Lloyd was injured with General Strike, but that team is still strong. And Chuck coming out there, getting a top eight finish. Uh, both these teams tying for seventh, not getting to play their last game. But 
Bad Skid and Chuck. Let's first talk about Bad Skid and talk to me a bit a bit about let's talk first about their Nomadic Tribe win because you watched that one and then I'll talk a bit about their Clapham win because I got to see the end of that one. Um two big wins for Bad Skid. What happened against Nomadic Tribe? They just I think it was the story of their tournament. They played the best ultimate they've ever played, but it was their style of ultimate. That grit and grind, hard work on the unders, trust your throwers to be able to break to the uh, around to be able to get around breaks off against the mark. It was so interesting. It was it was a game that really would have been a fun one to study if it had been recorded because it was that quick Japanese style all about like short yardage gains trying to set up nice flat hooks um, and inside breaks going up against bad skid who are just pounding the ground looking for big dirty unders and huge swinging around breaks and then those nice little Euro flicks for Shasti Enzone. Um, they held their nerve really well and they just looked so... Like they deserve to be there. Like that's where they were meant to be. They took half eight seven after being like seven seven, and they were um, and it was just back and forth. Nomadic tribe did get the first break at seven six, but uh, Badski had managed to get that break right they back did, yeah. to take the half eight seven. Right yeah. back to take half, and then they continued to trade a little bit more than Badskid, who via Holger Budemuller on O-line, first of all, throwing to Michael, and then on D-line in order to get the break through it to Samuel, <laughs> which uh, which is nice to see. Um, I had to leave just for the end, so I had to send off one of my guys. But if you, we, like, and we don't want to talk about, like, one player the whole time, but Holger Budemuller threw, he threw eight assists in that game. He threw eight goddamn assists, and he got three catches. He was involved in 11 of their 15 scores. I mean, that game was a game where there were three breaks in the whole game. It wasn't a, quite a display. I mean, I don't know how many turnovers there were. And there were not that many turnovers either. It was a tight, tight game. Like, And teams had to take advantage of the few opportunities they And got. just looking at the score lines, yeah, Holger was quite involved. But the Boytenmuller family in general was lighting it up this game. You see uh, you see Michael, you see Samuel throughout the throughout the stat sheet as well. Um, big ups for the Boytenmullers. Uh, that's, a, that's a talented ultimate family. And looks like they they are the medicine you need to beat uh, a Japanese team. It seems you need some Boitenmullers. That's what you need. That's what Europe needs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'd always take more Boitenmullers if it's an option, <laughs> which is just a nice little chance for us to congratulate Holder. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, good, good for a German Ultimus. Uh, so yeah, talk to us about. I was so devastated I didn't get to see this game, but talk to me about what happened against Clapham. Yeah, so this game, I, I only got to really see the end of it. It is on the uh, U- the Wiftif YouTube, so you can go back and watch this game. But this was weird, man. Like, super weird. It was Clapham getting I like how American you got there as well. It was weird, man. It was weird. It was, uh, yeah, I've been in You're America for a while now, hanging out with other <laughs> Americans. Um, yeah, Clapham go up 8-5. Looks like it's going to be a classic, you know, Clapham's just the stronger European team, whatever. Um, Clapham even uh, get the first point, make it nine five. Then, then Bad Skid go on a four point run to make it nine nine, and you know Clapham's still in the lead. From what I heard, there was a very rousing speech by Florian Bowler in the halftime. You can you can go back and listen to our interview with Christoph Kerbler right after he had won this game, um, and he said that Florian Bowler just went up and told them like, "We got to show our game. We know we can beat these guys." And it's strange for them to say that because they had never beaten Clapham right. in the history of the club. What a way and what a place and what a time to do it. 
But 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 Christoph did tell me. I mean, of course, it's always easy to say this after the fact that this was the first time he's played on the team where they went into that Clapham game believing they could win, where they they thought this isn't a team we're just going in there to see how good of a game we can put against them. They're like, no, let's shift our mentality and let's go into this game, think we're going to win. They're down 8-5. They still said, look, we're down 8-5, but we know how good of a team we are. We beat Nomadic Tribe. We're a good freaking team, and we're going to bring it together right now. On the last point, um, so, so, so Badskid were up 14-13 at some point, and Clapham broke back 14-14. So it's now universe point, and it's universe point against Clapham. And Kerbla, who, great guy, um, but I have seen him in big games make a turnover or two <laughs> in, in big situations. He, he's, he, it's usually just like one or two, but it's usually in key moments of the game. So it's really uh, stands out. And here on Universe Point, he sees Holger go deep and just puts up this prayer of a huck. And Ollie Gordon catches up, gets position on Holger, looks like it's going to be lights out in terms of this possession. And if Clapton can get the disc on Universe, you know that they're not going to give it back easily. Um, but disc sails over both of them. And Florian Bowler, the man who has been retired so many years and has so many knee problems and, you know, is just made out of knee braces, basically, coming up from behind, makes a layout grab and saves the day for Badskid and pops it in easily to Jorg Reinert for the score and Badskid take the win. And it's just like they were so, so happy at the end of this game. They, they've they been, it's not just about getting into quarters, which was amazing for them, but about beating Clapham. And now that confidence that they're going to have going into the game that they're going to play against them at UCF, I'm sure, um, having a win against them, you know, that that takes some pressure off. Now you know you've done it before. To be fair, Ashley O was injured, and Ashley O was worth a point. I got to say it. Like he's, if they had he's Ashley worth o, several points. He's worth a point. So would they have won with Ashley O on the field? I'm not so sure. And will Ashley O be back at UCF? I'm not so sure. But Badskid get the win. It's sports. You got to play the cards you're dealt. And Badskid get to the top eight after in Lecco four years ago having one loss to Kuzma Fota and Power Pools and getting 25th because the format was a little wonky because they canceled the first day of play there. Uh, they were they went into this tournament without any placement expectation. They just said, let's take it one game at a time. And that's the recipe they needed for success. And that's the way they got to the top eight. Massive congratulations is all that's left to say to them. They earned it. They earned it. They exercised their demons. We already spoke about how it just seems like when bad skid don't focus on positioning, when they focus internally, that's when we get the best bad skid that we ever see. And we were wondering, you know, with the UCF campaign last year, with playing at Windmill, were all these missing the big players, not focusing on that kind of ambitious range that kind of built their team initially? How would they do? And the answer is they, they do better. It seems like they've evolved into the next stage of what that club can be. So definite, definite title contenders at EUCF. Let's go from one title contender from Germany to another, sadly not title contender because I believe they're also not playing at the EUC season uh, this year. Chuck also getting top eight. These guys had a great start to their tournament. They go out, they beat the Freeze Bees, um, put that to rest because they lost to them in the final of Tom's Tourney, beat them on the big stage. Then they go up against Colony. Colony ends up being the silver medalist of this tournament, and Chalk were up 7-4 
on this team and looked really good in that game. A few little mistakes in the second half, and Colony is able to claw their way back. Of course, Colony has some great defense, and when they stack their lines a bit more, once they realized they were down, Chuck couldn't really keep up with them. End up losing that game 15-12, but had a chance to make the halftime 8-4, and that would have been, I think it was 8-6 in the end. Uh, but if they were up 8-4 at half, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they could have won that game. They looked and, so good in that first half. But the even bigger win for them, down 8-5 against General Strike, coming back, apparently on 14, they were up, I think, 14-12 or 14-13. They had a contested call in the end zone where they should have won the game. Then apparently on Universe, they had Bosser called a foul that, that General Strike didn't agree with. You can look at the spirit scores of that game. Neither team was super happy with the fair-mindedness of either team in that game. But in the end, scores a score. Chuck end up winning. Hammer from Becker to Bosser, two of the Bs. Um, interestingly, not putting Steph Bono on the O-line, putting Contant Bono on the O-line. So I thought Steph Bono is more the handler player from the Montreal Royale. I thought they would maybe bring him onto the O-line. But they kept him on the D-line, and they said they wanted more cutter power. They were happy with their handlers. They wanted more cutter power, so they brought Contambono actually onto the O-line after the first game or two. Um, and just both these players are chalk through and through, even though they've been in Montreal the last couple of years. So they slotted in quite nicely. And, you know, they were fired up. France won the World Cup, and they were in the quarterfinals. <laughs> they had a great, great week in Cincinnati. That's a, I didn't even think about that. That's a great time for the French. Well, I was waiting for uh, them to interview them after they after they won General Strike, and they had a like I went to interview Bad Skid, uh, of course Germans with their uh, end of game huddle speech, very efficient. Just said, "Yeah, we did well. Let's go on to the next game." Bad Skid, let's cheer. Then they went on. I could interview Christoph Kubler. Went to the French huddle, <laughs> wasn't so efficient. A bit more drawn out, and they were talking <laughs> a lot about look. Everybody the French, said emotional. <laughs> Everybody what? said that France had a ceiling of quarters or a ceiling of semis, and this team went out and won the World Cup. They're saying the same thing about us. No one thought we were going to be in quarters. Look how Free Speed did against Revolver. We're going to play against Revolver um, now. So they believed in themselves. Of course, once they got to that quarterfinal round, they lost Revolver 15-8, lost Nomadic Tribe 15-12, ended up tying Bad Skid for seventh. But this is a, th- their goal was top 12 of the tournament. Their goal was top two of Europe. They got those two goals. Um I think just a tremendously successful world championships for Chalk after mixed results, you know, having a great Tom's tourney, but a couple bad losses, losing to Freeze Bees in, in the final and losing to, to Chevron Action Flash in the showcase game, getting walloped by Ranala at Windmill, losing 15-6 in that game, shocking everybody, but coming out here when it matters and showing that this team, we, we've been high on early on and we're a bit shocked with their Windmill, um, but showing that this was a team that, you know, is one of the top teams in Europe and got there without even having to beat Clapham. Badskid did that work for him. Uh, top two of Europe. What do you got to say about these French boys? Just an excellent performance. And way to show heart. The main thing we questioned was their heart. The main thing I questioned <laughs> was their heart. And they just so delighted to be proven wrong. I really want to point out how fantastic Sokolsky was all week long. He was phenomenal. I think he finished with 22 goals in the end. He was almost unstoppable. We've seen him really, really start to show out on uh, the European stage and being able to replicate that on the world's one is just a testament to his ability. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of his speed and the fact that he can throw whatever he wants and he wants to throw audacious things. So I love that. But yeah, just showing pure, unadulterated heart. So fantastic stuff. I also want to shout out Eric Becker. I mean, in some of the 
earlier tournaments this year, especially at Tom's, he had a few bad turnovers, especially if you look at that showcase game against Chevy. He had three turnovers in that game, but here he seemed to be that solid rock that Chuck needed and could make the big plays when his team needed him, including a hammer on Universe to his buddy, Matteo Bosser, to win that game. So, Chuck, congrats to you guys. It's super cool how you guys did. Got on the French Championship on your belt. Did the best you've ever done at Worlds. Top eight in the world. Uh, you guys must be super happy. I am super bummed if that's true that you guys aren't coming to the UCF. We really would love to, be, to have you guys there. Um, it'll be a huge pity not to see what you guys can do because, like, you guys can build on this. And we're going to see in the future years how this is going to go um, for the French. But yeah, those are the two top eight teams. So before we go to the next two teams, which were the nine and 10, Cosbin Clapham, I want to talk a little bit about the 12th place team, Free Speed, and mainly about yeah. their game against Revolver. Free Speed had a great Worlds. They beat the Freezebees. They, you know, they lost to Chalk. Okay, Chalk were phenomenal this tournament. But the big story of this team was their game against Revolver. Um, that game I just saw has been posted on YouTube. I haven't got to see it yet, but somebody was filming that game, not an official stream, but I'm going to watch that as soon as I get the chance, maybe on the bus ride tomorrow uh, to work. But uh, yeah, free speed. Guys, can you talk us through a bit about what happened against Revolver? Well, first off, coming out, it seemed like Revolver didn't know what to expect from free speed. So if you're going up against them and you don't know what Emilioretto is, you're <laughs> going to get a little bit of a shock. Going to have a bad time. But you're going to have a bad time. But that's not to speak disparagingly or to lessen the impact that their other players had. I mean, they came out with a hold and then responded with a break immediately. 2-0 up on Revolver. Kasper Muller, Marco Elmiger, able to just facilitate what's such a difficult thing to do, which is cash in a turnover against the best team in the world. The undeniable best team in the world. Three-time reigning world champions. That's eight years of dominance. And come out 2-0 up against them really universal performance is just something you have to say. Like, okay, Aaron Riedler had three goals in that game and Luca had four assists, but the stats are just spread out between the rest of them. Like Robert Bruderlin, Gaugler, Furrer, Muller, all had fantastic games. It was like you were saying when we covered this briefly in our quarterfinals one, it was, it was the best game they'd ever played and they could feel nothing but pride after playing it. So yeah, just to talk a bit about that game, they did manage to take the first half 8-7. Um, both got two breaks, Revolver and Free Speed. And then Revolver starts the second half with a hold. Uh, free Speed gets a hold. Then Free Speed get broken. And this is where you start to think, you know, all right, first half, cool. But second half, Revolver breaks you, go up 10-9, game is over. I even heard people say that, game is over. Um, but... Free Speed get a hold, and then they get a break of their own with a huge D um, in, I believe it was a zone play that they put out there and just got a great D against Revolver's O-line. And Revolver was stacking their lines at this point. They knew what was going on. This is against the real Revolver O-line. Um, I had heard that earlier on in the tournament, there were some players from Revolver resting, not really playing. But at halftime, you saw all of them suit up and cleat up and be like, okay, actually, we need to take this pretty seriously. Um, so that was a real O-line that, that Free Speed got a break on. Of course... Then Revolver go on a bit of a three-point run, their two-point run to end it, end up winning the game 15-12. But Free Speed were ecstatic at the end of this game, and I've seen Free Speed lose a lot of games close and be not so happy. You do have to wonder. I, I talked to some people about this and saying, yeah, you know, Free Speed were super happy to win that. And they were like, yeah, 
that's cool and all, but did they not believe they were going to win? Like, should they have believed they were going to win? Was that a bit going on that they were just like... No, they shouldn't have believed they were going to win. <laughs> it's Revolver. <laughs> of course, it was like, no, no athlete thinks they're going to win, or no athlete ever thinks they're going to lose. Back off. <laughs> it's a revolver. Okay. Even when you're up eleven ten, you're like, all right, this is this is gonna end at some point. <laughs> I would have collapsed in shock at that moment if I was playing for the team. But you know, I don't I don't have the greatest nerves in the world. But just a fantastic game from the Swiss. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Free Speed had that great game, ended up finishing 12th, um, way above their Swiss rivals in Flying Angels Burn, so they're very happy about that. Um but the two teams that finished above them, which were Clapham and Kuzb. Kuzb winning the final game 8-6. Again, lightning delayed, couldn't finish it up. Um, Clapham just barely beating free speed 14-12 in, in the bracket play before that as well. And Clapham, man, they were crushed after losing that pre-quarter against Germany and didn't feel so good about Kuzb either. Are Clapham still the favorites for EUCF? The answer is yes, but uh, <laughs> what do you got to say about that? Yeah, that's that, that, yeah. that's one of those rhetorical questions, right? Yeah. Well, first off, before we start talking about Clapham, just want to send out our, our hearts and our best wishes to Ashley Yo. I saw him go down, and it didn't look good. So we just we hope with all our hearts that he recovers and is able to come back healthy. Whenever that will be, it's tough to know, but... It's just something I wanted to say first. Apart from that, for Clapham, I think the story of their tournament was they have a very rigid system. And it stands to them. It works most of the time. But it just seemed like they got found out. that Not so much found out as solved. Because you, it's like you find out, you find out what? That they're very good and they've got a system. But when, at the highest level, everyone's very good and everyone has a system. So... I know they're quite disappointed. They came to this tournament thinking, like, this is our chance. We can go take Worlds. We almost beat Revolver four years ago. And you could talk back and forth about whether or not this is a stronger or weaker team than it was four years ago. I think it's about the same. It's just a matter of they didn't really bring anything new. It was the same team structure. It was the same team ideology and approach to the game. And it just kind of ran dry a little bit for them. The 15-10 loss to Cusp in the pool stages was nothing short of astounding. They had a very close game against Ranel in the power pools, where at one point I thought Ranel would be able to actually put it to them. They wound up being able to win that one 15-10. Similar story against Ragnarok before falling to Badskid. They're an excellent team built with excellent players. In order to keep it the next level, they just have to introduce a higher level of tactics, which is something you can say about all the teams, but... That seemed to be the big thing missing for them. Interesting. And so let's also then start to talk about Kuz. Kuz, again, getting that 15-10 win, the same scoreline they had at Swiss draw against Clapham and looking really, really good. I talked to my friend Rumi Tejpar on the team, and he said this is like pretty much the strongest team he's ever played for. He's like, we definitely deserve to be in top eight. It sucks that we went up against Nomadic Tribe at their peak it was like unlucky because i don't think tribe were even that good when they played against bad skid but just were on fire in that game it was it was the best game tribe played yeah so they it was the best game tribe played yeah they they were they were fantastic and and kuzb was a bit unlucky to draw them there but um 
and they managed managed to prove it. I mean, you can always say, "Oh yeah, we deserve to be in the top eight, but we lost to a good team." But they 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 showed it. I mean, they came ninth, so they won all the rest of their games. So they showed that they were the next best team, and maybe they do have an argument to be in the top eight. But um, sadly, you got to win that quarter game, pre quarter game at Worlds, and they got to be a little disappointed. I just think in that Nomadic Tribe game, they weren't able to work out a way through Nomadic Tribe's zone. Yeah, their O line really struggled against it. Yeah. And their D-line had plenty of opportunities to get early break in that game as well and weren't able to cash them in. So it's just a matter of letting opportunity go early and then the O-line really... I was very surprised at some of the turnovers they had against the Nomadic Tribe zone. But again, Nomadic Tribe played out of their yeah, minds. In fairness, like, some of those were like weird turnovers. Some of those were Nomadic Tribe making huge plays on D as well. And like... Yeah, it was a great. It was a great. You should go and watch that one if you haven't yet. That one's on. That one's on the Wiftif YouTube as well. It was just a fantastic game, and that that layout bid on the D that Rumi Tejpar had was just absolutely insane. He had no business getting that close to it. I I I thought at the time that he got the disc first. Um, looking at the replay, it looks pretty close. Maybe he got it a split second before the Nomadic Tribe player. It ended up being contested and going back, which I think was maybe the right call because it was just, you could hardly even tell with a slow motion camera. Um, so sadly, Kuzma did not get that D back, but it was a great attempt there by Tejpar. I do wonder how Kuzma going to do now that I'm guessing those uh, those Canadian and American players aren't coming to UCF. Um, I'd be curious if even uh, Nasser and Bay is coming to UCF. So they're going to have to do it a bit differently um, in the later parts of the season. And can they beat Clapham uh, without those two, without Tim Sang and Tejpar? I'm not so sure, man. They're pretty key. I think I think they can. Because I think the like Bruno Mine was the main reason they beat Clapham at Worlds. Okay. I, he just tore them apart. I don't think they could stop him. Um. I know, but it's just when you've got that kind of when you can have that much faith in your O line, it really allows right. your D line to just go out there and turn the screws. And like you say, when they you say they want it on D, I mean, what line were Tej Par and Sang? Exactly, on? they were on the O line, but yeah, it was the D line that that won the game. If you win fifteen ten, your D line that's winning that. That's that's how that works. Um, but your O line has to be solid to do it. You're, you're, I mean, we mm-hmm. talked to Jamie Cross after Windmill, and he said that Bologna's had great defense for years. They've gotten breaks on Clapham before. The key thing that's different with them this year is that they have a great offense, and that, I think, a lot comes from Sang and Tejpar and Hiermitslev, who will be sticking around with them, I'm sure, um, Mitterer, um, who will be sticking around with them, I'm sure, but, like, uh, of course, Laffey, of course, uh, uh, some other their Italian players as well, but... Gasparini, Gasparini was fantastic. Yes. Was fantastic. And some of the young players who are stepping up and just absolutely unbelievable plays from them all tournament long. Like said, DeLuca and Pavan had fantastic tournaments. I'm a huge fan of Fiorentino. Um, Franceschi was brilliant. Like there's, it seems like that younger element of the squad has taken that step and we'll really see it at EUCF once it is, once that's the team. Speaking of younger elements and having steps and having heart, Got to have a huge shout out to Luca Tognetti, who breaks his nose against Clapham in an unfortunate clash of bodies. And the medical staff at uh, the tournament apparently told him not to play, but he said, I'm going to play. So they actually rush ordered a face mask for him and he had it the next day and he was back on the field uh, as soon as he could be back in it for that nomadic tribe game. So um, 
big ups to Tognetti for fighting through the most adverse of circumstances to still help his team out and help him in a big way. Um, though he couldn't get the win against Nomadic Tribe, he still put everything he could with his body on the line um, out there to keep playing with that broken nose. So big up to you, Pingu. Great stuff. Um, Fantastic defense from him all week absolutely. as well. All right, so after that, after those teams, we've already talked about free speed, Chevron Action Flash tying for 13th with General Strike, getting a win over Wildcats. Um, That does it for the men in the top 16. If you look at the next bracket down, we've got, um, yeah, Fab tying with Ragnarok for 17th. Ragnarok shooting me a message saying they were a bit disappointed that they didn't get streamed, but yeah, they ended up 17th, so, you know, there weren't that many... The game against Clapton might have been an interesting one to get streamed, but uh, yeah, they, they they weren't that high up in the tournament, so too bad for them. Ranala, 21st, uh, tying with forward. I think this was a bit of a underperformance based on how they did at Windmill and adding the likes of Jack Hatchet. People were thinking this is a team that could do some damage, but 21st. How do you how do you think these uh, these Irish boys are feeling from Dublin? Um, well, let's talk about them in context of Pelt. And let's talk <laughs> about Pelt first. <laughs> no, sorry, that's... Uh... Let's talk about Ranla and their own merits, which they do have plenty of. They were fantastic in their opening few games. They handled Isno, they handled Family. Both those teams wound up spending a lot of the tournament lower down in in the seedings. But at the start of the tournament, not exactly easy games to win. Big universe point win over forward. It just seemed like they kept getting outpaced. The mistake they kept making was every single game they started off slow. Okay. Every single game, it felt like they had to make a comeback. And in some games, they made an impressive comeback. In the important games, they didn't get the chance. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I say the important games, I mean Clapham. I mean Cusp. I mean Free Speed. Juggernaut. They just kept digging themselves holes. And sometimes they weren't able to climb out of them. It was a very good team. Well, I saw some fantastic performances. Owen Binchy was brilliant. Uh, Derek Elleher was unfortunately not able to play too much. And that's that's a pretty big loss. loss. Um, Ronan Callahan, young player, out there on their O line, just handling pressure. How many Callahans did he get? Which though? I thought was absolutely uh, uh, no. Well, no, no, it's a very difficult thing uh, to get one if you're O line. But <laughs> brilliant step up from him. I just um, Stephen Jones, their captain, Steege, as he's effectively known, was leading from the front. Was absolutely fantastic. He's kind of like Ranella's version of Ashley Yo. Uh, he got 14 goals over the course of the tournament, didn't get a single assist, but was brilliant for them. Uh, Sam Meehan, who's the rock of their offense, was very good. It was just the matter they kept they kept having to come from behind, and I don't know how you put your finger on it. Like, were they coming in shook? Because how many times I talked to them a few times over the course of the tournament, and they kept coming in and saying like, "Look, we." We keep sucking in the opening few exchanges and then playing our way into games and we just need to stop doing that. And they couldn't on the biggest in the biggest, most important games. And that's kind of the reason why they wound up falling all the way down to twenty first. Yeah, I think similar things for Fab and Ragnarok both having some good games out there. Fab actually doing well to stay in a quite competitive pool because Cracker Jacks had beaten uh, Juggernaut and Flying Angels beat Cracker Jacks and Juggernaut beat Flying Angels, so they managed to get into power pools um with that uh fab game against crackjacks i got to see a lot of that that was just fab's offense at its absolute best they were they looked fantastic yeah and sadly we didn't get to get the showdown between them and ragnarok uh ragnarok similarly uh had a loss against heat haze ended up losing a goat 
but they beat they beat the Venezuelan team who had done quite well. I believe, uh, yeah, did quite well in their pool as well. Beat Orobro, beat Frisbees, um, fifteen nine, which is pretty good for beating Frisbees. Uh, and oh, I didn't even know this. They beat Free Speed fifteen twelve, but apparently in the in the wrong stage of the tournament. So good results there from Ragnarok, but just not able to get the wins later on in the tournament. Um, and But eventually finishing their tournament by beating Juggernaut 15-13, which I think is a good win for Ragnarok. So um, this team, maybe not quite as high up as some of us had ranked them. I mean, I had them as the third best team in Europe, and they didn't quite live up to that expectation. But uh, they, they had some good wins, and I think they should feel pretty good about their tournament as well. Moving on from there, just going down into the lower brackets, fair few European teams. Otso started the tournament really strong. I thought they looked fantastic in their early exchanges. Pagos, a lot of people didn't know much about them coming in. They had a good few pickups. Lightning quick team, very difficult to play against. Put it up to double wide. Take care of Pelt. Able to beat Chevron Action Flash on Universe. Narrowly lose to Flying Angels. And then they kind of just tapered off from there. They lose to Cracker Jacks. They fall into the lower bracket. And then they just... Take care of business. Surprisingly losing to Shanghai Chuchai, but uh, that team was that team was sneaky good. Yeah. Uh, they did have a few pickups, but still, a lot of great players. Uh, Lika Vatoranta, uh, Miko Panasato, um, Erika Nini, they all had fantastic tournaments. RT Yarvi was... Oh, sorry, no, you can skip that one out. Yako Yuntu was brilliant, and then obviously, like, Tommy Sandberg, who I think finished with 40, 30 of them being assists, was a huge feature of the game. But I didn't rate Atso as high as I should have, because when I was looking, I was thinking, oh, yeah, Pelt will be able to beat them. And they looked so strong in the opening exchanges, fell off a little bit towards the end. Okay, so yeah, I think we've talked enough about the men's results. Sorry, we didn't get to every team. Uh, just quickly, Pelted crap. And then... Uh, hold from- on, no, Pelted... <laughs> Pelt were in one of the toughest men's groups. And then... <laughs> Once they, they were knocked down to consolidate consolation and then won every game apart from losing on universe point to family where they did kind of pull a pelt and shit the bed because they were 14, 11 up. They're eight, four up at half. And I think they were 14, 12 up with three offensive holds in a row and got broken three times in a row <laughs> to lose belt. to family. Classic so, belt. Classic belt there. <laughs> but in fairness, despite coming last in their group, they did have a real resurgence in the middle of it. Family themselves uh, has similar enough situation, really devastating open to the tournament, but found themselves were able to fight their way back into it. A little surprised how Mooncatchers did. I thought they might be able to do a little bit better, but I suppose it kind of got revealed that depth is still a bit of an issue there in Belgium for them. So they have some work to do there and really building up the Frisbees club, but we can't talk about everybody, but like you say, Okay, it's a fairly decent run for them. But yeah, let's get to the picks in the men's division, then we'll talk spirit quickly and close this one out. Um, in the men's division, we both had Clapham Kuzb. That was a wash. They were not the top two, but anyways, the points are the same. I had Ragnarok, who was 17th. You had Pelt, who was 28th. So I win. So in Worlds, I beat you 2-1. to one. Uh, Of course, I just get the win from you picking Pelt pretty easily. But uh, the other two divisions, yeah. we took one and one So... That's it for Worlds in terms of the results. Let's talk a bit about Spirit. Um, big result when it comes to Spirit was that Flying Rabbits win Spirit oh, as they Carrots call, baby. were surely going to do. And they end, end the tournament with their Carrots Call song. Beautiful way to end Worlds and Rabbits. People were blown away by that as well. The harmonies. Yeah, they're, they're good at singing. 
They could they're stand very good to practice a little more about their ultimate, but they're pretty good at singing. Uh, they managed Ooh, to tie. Cold. <laughs> Accurate, but cold. Well, they tied for last place uh, in the tournament, didn't manage to get a win. They were up in their sec- in their last game they could play. They, they were going to play against Yanomami in the last game, and I think they might have been able to win that one, but who knows. But they were up 10-4 against the Panthers, who we crushed 14-7. Um, and then Panthers came back and won that one on Universe. And apparently they had done that a number of times where they would go up early when they were down in the bottom stages of the tournament and get way too excited. Oh, my God, we're going to win a game at Worlds and then just kind of give the game away. They did that <laughs> many, many times. Um, so sadly for the Rabbits, didn't get any wins. But the win they really cared about most was winning Spirit. They got that one. Uh, there was a tough... Tough competition from the New Zealand Black Sheep for a while. Looks like looked like they were going to maybe take it from them, but uh, but New Zealand, you know, they're a really spirited group Thank as well. Kiwis. Yeah, they, ah, they are a spirited whatever. spirited bunch. The Kiwis, um, <laughs> flying rabbits, taking spirit. Anything else you want to talk about in terms of spirit, Lorcan? I know you had your eyes on a couple things there. I thought the spirit was fantastic. I thought um, a really interesting conversation with a friend of yours. I'd certainly like to consider him a friend of mine now too. Uh, Paolo Shopping. Mm-hmm who was saying in the official rules, which he wrote the first draft of, the idea of the spirit circle is that the two teams have two separate spirit circles, and then they come together. So they talk to each other. They all work out exactly how they feel. Clear your heads. Let the game just pass you by a little bit. Have a conversation so everyone's on the same page. Then you go into the spirit circle with the other team. And I started seeing that happen more and more because Wift went around saying, like, this is how we prefer you to do it at this tournament. I started seeing it happen more and more as the game went on. Uh, Paolo's team, um, I think they're called Re-Evolution or R-Evolution. The Brazilian team or a windmill were doing it then as well. I think it's a brilliant practice. I, I couldn't sing its praises high enough. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It gives teams a chance to work stuff out between each other, talk it over, and then go and have a conversation with the opposing team. I think it works great after really emotional losses, like I thought it was fantastic. Um, I don't know if they talked about it beforehand, but after Root lost a wildcard, they were devastated. In the semifinal, they were devastated, and wildcard just went off and had their own spirit circle while Groot just kind of just bundled together in little groups and slowly formed into one thing that could then go and talk to wildcard. Um, I saw it a bunch of times. I just think it's brilliant if you've just had a really heated game, because then you can go into your own circles and you can talk angrily and openly to each other. And it also means teams have more time, more thought to go into the spirit scores, which is something that I know Woofduff are really trying to push, that we get accurate spirit scores that people fully understand. And there's a thing called repeatability and reproducibility, which is something that happens uh, where I I work in copy editing. So it's the idea if you have six people all editing the same thing, all coming in and editing like the same stuff, like multiple things every day, but by the same rules, so repeatability is like how good they are at doing it themselves. So you do a load of things and then you do it again to make sure if a team were to play the same team twice, would the scores differ and why would they differ? And is there a reason for that? And then reproducibility is across the board, is there a common denominator? So is there the ability for all of the teams to have the same parameters? Or like we say, because I do think this is a big thing with Colombia, they just have a different definition for spirit. Because Colombians consider themselves quite well-spirited, as I'm sure most people do. And if there isn't this reproducibility, this uniform aspect to how we judge spirit, then there will always be these disparities in scores and lead to these conversations and lead to maybe people starting to not appreciate or respect it enough and starting to move towards things like observers. So 
I do think having these two separate spirit circles and bringing it together is a fantastic idea and something I'd like to see a lot more of. I will tell you that my team was a bit baffled by the post-game pre-spirit circle, individual spirit circles. Um, They had never done this before and kind of used them as more of a chance to talk about the game from our point of view and didn't really always use it to talk about the spirit of the other team. We managed to get better at it throughout the tournament as we got more used to it. But a lot of times, wasn't much to say. The the biggest value I see in these pre-circle circles is... A number of times your captain or your spirit captain, whoever talks in the game, might have had a great experience or might have had a bad experience. And when they're just talking without having consulted their team first, then you oftentimes get the situation where they're going to say, yeah, I had a great game. No real problems. It was a phenomenal match. Uh, Good luck to you in the last one. That's what you're going to hear. Then all of a sudden you'll get like a seven on your spirit score because actually the rest of the team didn't feel that way. And the pre-circle allows the team to tell that one voice that talks to the other team, look, we think you need to mention this or we think you need to mention that. That way it doesn't come as a shocker when you get this like really nice spirit speech and then this really bad spirit score. Those things become a lot more aligned when you allow the teams to talk with each other first. And I think that definitely happened uh, for us when we were able to use it. But it was definitely some took some getting used to and some people were a bit taken aback by it. I mean, some people, some Americans uh, don't even like the spirit circle to begin with. So to add a second spirit circle, they're just like, what is this? This is way too much. But I do agree with you that I think it does have value. A lot of times you don't need to say anything. If the the game spirit is fine, you don't need to say anything. But if there was something to talk about, it can really help to uh, have a unified voice among your team uh, with that. And I think that, uh, yeah, I I would promote it. I would say it it has some definite value and, uh, Something we're not going to be able to talk too much about on this episode because we're running out of time is I think that it's a better tool than going to observers um, and we should stick with the game advisor system. But that's a that's a different discussion for another episode. Um, Another thing with spirit, if you're going to talk spirit on the positives, let's talk a bit about the negatives. There were quite a few spirit timeouts in this tournament. We had. Oh, there were. It was a crazy high amount of them. Yeah, we had a spirit timeout in our game against Kenya. Biggest thing was that one of one of our players, actually, it was really weird because spirit was actually fine for the whole game. Then one of our players, I will say, it was definitely our fault that we started it, had a really bad reaction to a contested stallout call and then had another bad reaction later on to that. So the player called a spirit timeout on the other team and said, look, we need to calm things down. Let's respect each other, whatever. Then after that, after the spirit timeout, their spirit got really bad, and especially with their American rules knowledge. They they did not know the travel rule, the travel doesn't stop play, and, and they were not letting their players discuss calls, kind of telling them to contest it, and kind of lost, after the spirit timeout, kind of lost trust in us as opponents, which was very interesting that I, I think the spirit timeout there exacerbated the situation. But uh, I'm curious for you if you saw any other spirit timeout situations that might have had a more positive impact. Um, or what did you think about spirit timeouts and, and spirit in general with the rest of the tournament? I think it's important to say a spirit timeout doesn't have to be a last resort. And it doesn't have to mean, oh, shit's getting out of control. Because at Worlds, you've got the different cultures, you've got the different perceptions of spirit, and you've got a massive array of language barriers. So the spirit timeout can be something in the middle of the game that you use to address these things. And I do think if people start to view it a little bit differently where they would call it earlier, where if you're starting to say like, eh, things are a little bit off here, or it's like 5-4, it's 5-3, and you're like, I don't really like where this is going. Call it then. 
It's like, oh, we're having a little bit of difficulty community. Call it then and establish it early because it can provide a common denominator. I saw an awful lot of spirit circles. I also saw something I've never seen before in my life. I saw more spirit timeouts than I'd ever seen before. I also saw somebody try to refuse a spirit timeout. Oh, boy. Which was ludicrous. Yeah, this was the brilliance. I think, huck. We, I think we have to mention. Yeah, we it. I think we have to mention. It. It. Yeah. So it was the brilliance. Huck we don't want to dwell earlier. too much on this, but um, that game got really heated. I, I wasn't there watching it, but I did see the clip clipped up on on Ulti World. Uh, brilliance allegedly calling travels on Huck's best player every time she got the disc, and uh, higher. Yeah, uh, calling a calling a decent enough amount of. Yeah, and the it was it. That's pertinent because that's what caused the spirit timeout. That was the straw that broke the camel's back between the two teams. Because it was a heated game and it was both teams. But that was the thing that stopped them. It felt like she got into a power position, getting ready to set it up for the shot, and they call travel. And at this point, it just goes spirit timeout. And maybe earlier in that game, a spirit timeout could have helped alleviate some of the tension. It's an incredibly important game. Both those teams are absolutely dying to make top eight and willing to die for it like... So maybe a spirit timeout earlier could have helped address that and also address like the language barriers. Like the players, how much of spirit do you think is just determined between a player who's marking another player and they just start chatting during a stoppage, during the point, after a point has ended and you just turn to the person who's marking you and you're like, great point. That can't really, that conversation can't really happen when there's a significant language barrier. Like there so frequently is between teams of that geographic disparity. So I do think a spirit timeout could be used to try and alleviate some of those things. By the time it was used, Huck didn't have any timeouts left. So the brilliance coach said, I, I don't want to have a spirit timeout. I think you guys are tired and you just want to do this because it's your only available way of having a timeout and getting a rest. But that to me illustrates exactly how much trust was already lost in the game. If 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 you're going to say that's something so like fair. that, that's, that's so why fair. a spirit yeah. timeout needs to be yeah. called because you've lost trust in your opponent. And yeah. Yeah, I I just have to say that Russian coach. I don't. I've heard I've heard really good things about him. He's a really good coach, and apparently he's a really nice guy off the field. But his attitude that game was that these guys are cheating, and that's how they treated it. That's how they treated the travel calls. That's how they treated what was going on in the game. They lost trust in their opponent, and the rules of ultimate as they stand right now are different than other sports in that they're designed in a way that only works if players don't intentionally break them. It's not like basketball where you get a certain number of fouls and you start getting penalized or something like that. No, the rules are designed so that we assume every foul is an accident and the rules are designed that you have to trust your opponent uh, in order for the rules to work. And if that breaks down, the rules don't work. And that shows to me why spirit timeout needed to be called because of his attitude in that timeout and his behavior there was, to, to me, I'm sorry, completely unacceptable. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what you have to say about that, but. Well, I'm not looking to make any enemies of the Russians, so I'm just going <laughs> to keep tight. I'm just saying I like just tea and I don't want to die from radiation poisoning. So that's kind of what I do, you know. It's it's weird <laughs> the way I'm, like, I'm clearly the more controversial of the two of us, and yet you're the one who keeps putting your foot in it. Yeah, well, you, you light this. You're so, the one who brought it up. So you, you light the little spark and then run away and just let me deal with the fire. That that's uh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's old Lorcan move. Ah, um, well, you know, it's the old Irish thing. I mean, we get cheeky and then someone tries to join in, takes it too far, and then where are we? I'll tell you where we are. Ten feet in the opposite you're direction. The oh, God, I love the pub. Lo- oh, God, I go to the pub later. It's going to be great. That's racist, actually, Ravi. How dare you? I mean, it's true, but, you know, still doesn't mean it's 
not racist, or does it? <laughs> Who knows? We're getting very tired. It's hard There's to been keep an awful track of all these things. It's so yeah. I think uh, on that note, we will we will end things for this I have podcast. One last uh, conclusion. I have one last conclusion to draw from Worlds before we uh, go for it. Call it a day. I wish my laptop would stop going into fucking standby. The last conclusion I would draw from Worlds is, to me, the major difference between us and the elite level of Ultimate. And when I say us, I mean Europe. When I say the elite level of Ultimate, I mean the ability to contest and win semis and finals at the highest level is throwing. It's just what it seems like to me. Um, So just too many throwing errors from the top European teams. Elite level throwing doesn't exist in Europe, and it's because we don't have it from the bottom up. And uh, we don't have people learning from as young an age, from as young an age as they do in other places. And it seems like that person who can get an emergency break off and stall eight consistently, that person who can break down defenses, like that's the starting point of the defense is the force. The starting point of the offense is the person with the disc. And a truly elite thrower can get you out of those situations. And we do have a splattering of elite throwers across Europe. How many of them aren't liabilities on defense? which is That's an true. open-ended question that we'd love responses to. We were trying to work this out a little bit ourselves. We'll talk about it more in a later episode. Try and think of an elite-level thrower, by which I mean break throws at every point, can get it off properly elite-level thrower, could go and be on the O-line of one of the American teams. That level of thrower who isn't a liability once the disc is turned over. And by liability, I mean who wouldn't be, by a very tactically nuanced or tactically astute team, targeted immediately. Because that's something we consistently saw. The best throwers were then targeted mm-hmm. by their opponents once there was a turnover. So that's just something I'd be interested to see what the audience thinks. Um, it's definitely what I think the difference is. Because we're tactically, I mean, we can study tactics now. The, the gap is closed. Athletically, we're right there with them. It's just to me, it's disc skills is the missing ingredient that will crown a European champion for the first time this millennium. Um, I would add depth to that. I think disc skills and depth are the bigger things. I think the bottom of our rosters are not as strong as the bottom of the rosters on the top teams. Um, And that's that's a big thing as well. All right. Um, Just quickly on the game advisor thing, we're not going to have a whole discussion about it. I just want to say that I thought... We'll talk about it later. I did think this was a great showing for the game advisors. I disagree with Charlie from the Deep Look podcast that we're going towards observers. I think this is the nice balance that Whiff Diff is going to find, and I, I think it was handled really well. Um, we'll talk more about our different opinions on that later. But uh, big up to the game advisor system. I think it showed itself to the best it's been so far, better than London, and I think that uh, it's going to keep improving, but I don't think we're going to more active calls or anything like that. Um that's all I have to say about Worlds. I think, Lorkin, you're done as well. Let's end things up. So for Eurozone, thanks again to everybody for listening. But for Eurozone, I've been Ravi Vasudevan. I've been Lorkin Murray. Big shout out to the UFCF, which is the Ultimate Future Cup France, a small international tournament they're having in lieu of any other European championships for the youth players this year. Uh, that's happening this weekend or starting this weekend going through the week um, just want to give it a little bit of a shout out we'll be covering it once it's already happened but for now just uh, in case you guys have heard anything about that you should definitely look into it it's a fantastic endeavor Columbia making a little bit of a celebrity performance celebrity appearance there as well um, but yeah I've been Lorcan Murray and we will oh my god I am you know what I'm going to do Ravi I'm going to go and not think about ultimate for like an hour and it'll, it'll be pretty sweet. We will eat you later. Darling. <laughs>
playing their final group game and Rook playing their final group game against Chucky's. Oh no. I just spilled a Coke can that landed perfectly upside down, so I don't think it actually spilled on any of the wires. <laughs> Thank Jesus. Oh my god. Oh my god. Can I get away with waiting until we're done with the podcast to clean that up? Oh my god, I think I can. Wow. Just give me a second. Good stuff, Florkin. Yeah, that was that was pretty lucky, man. <laughs> There's so many interruptions for this one, like. It's like, ah, yeah, this, this will be grand. We'll knock this out in an hour and a half. It won't take that long at all. I'm so tired.